My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. This is my three-year anniversary episode. Thank you so much to all of you who've been with me from the start, and to all my new listeners as well. My guest this week is the former executive director of the Mankind Project Chicago Center. But so much more than that, he moves through many crucial roles in my life, including teacher, mentor, wise counselor, and friend. Please welcome for my third anniversary, Glenn Barker. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. So here we are, at the end of year three of the Renaissance of Men and the beginning of year four. Hallelujah, praise God, and what a ride. Maybe you haven't noticed, but I'm kind of a sentimental guy. I've got boxes in storage full of small artifacts that are worthless monetarily, but they're fragments of my life. Flyers from my DJ days, the wire cage from a bottle of champagne from long ago, receipts from my travels, even a piece of a fast food box from a road trip with a good friend 20 years ago. Stuff like that. And on the wall in front of me and shelves next to me right now, I have similar items. My college diploma and pennant, my beaten cowboy hat from traveling, postcards, thank you cards, and even a bizarrely shaped rock I found on the ground in the middle of nowhere, Mongolia. Just as an aside, I swear the thing is shaped almost like a perfect rectangular cylinder with 90 degree angled edges, a very unnatural shape for a stone. How did it get that way? Natural forces? Really? I found this rock at my feet standing in the middle of nowhere in Mongolia. That would put it squarely in the middle of the middle of nowhere. If unnatural forces shaped it, how did it get there? I'll literally never know. But now it sits beside me all day, as a reminder of a moment in my life, and a mystery. Anyway, I can't identify when I became this way. It's sort of always been who I am. I am not the things I own, but the things I own have the capacity to remind me who I am, or who I've been. They remind me of the distances I've traveled, both inner and outer. They don't weigh much physically, but they weigh a lot, let's say, spiritually. Not in a theological sense, obviously, but in the sense that they represent pieces of my personal spirit or soul in the way that words can't. This is who I am. Here, look and see. These things have texture, shape, weight, color, sometimes even smell and taste. I've got bags of spices that I picked up in India four years ago. I bet those will take me back to the streets of Mumbai. This is what it means to me to be sentimental, which Oxford Dictionary defines as, quote, of or prompted by feelings of tenderness, sadness, or nostalgia. Not to argue with Oxford, but I'm not feeling tenderness, sadness, or nostalgia when I encounter these objects, which surface from time to time. Instead, I'm feeling gratitude for my life and past experiences. These objects are physical manifestations of memories, of versions of me, that I'd otherwise forget. They make me real. Not what other people say I am, or even who I, in the rush of life, begin to believe I am. I'm not a moment in time. I'm a story in motion. So are we all. 
I like myself when I think about life that way. It infuses my experience with meaning. In the moment, I assign provisional meanings to events, people, places, and things. I think we all do. Having these reminders also forces me to reflect on those parts of my life to see what the meaning really was. In that, I come to perceive the tapestry of my life weaving together in a more glorious way than I ever could have imagined. That great weaver is quite a master, isn't he? Because I think this way, anniversaries matter to me. They're a time to tie threads together, to mark the completion of cycles. I take them seriously, insofar as my life is concerned. Now, I don't have to do this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong or lacking in you if you don't. This is how I am, and how I choose to be. Again, to infuse my life with significance beyond what culture tells me. It works for me, making me more myself, more human, more of a man, rather than a carbon copy male. So for my third anniversary of this podcast, I wanted to make it count in the exact same way. To tie some threads together, to give you some insight, to celebrate the past and hint forward to the future. I had to put some thought into how to do that, and I put thought into everything. So this took some extra thought, because it meant a great deal to me. How to tie the threads together, mark the end of a cycle, signify the beginning of another one, and show you a bit about who I am so we can celebrate together. After considering many different names, including some you'd probably recognize, I came up with another who you probably won't. But this man means more to me than all of them put together. And in that, I decided what these anniversary episodes will be about going forward. A chance to show you pieces of the man behind the podcast in ways you might not otherwise see. My first anniversary episode was Ryan Mickler, who was my first teacher when it came to podcasting. Early episodes of this show were modeled on the order of man. Eventually, I made the format my own, which is what you're listening to now. But during my first year, his podcast taught me what I needed to know to get started. My second anniversary guests were Rob, Barb, Katie, and Andrea from Camp Spirit Dream at Burning Man, my first teachers in the Christian faith who baptized me three years ago, not coincidentally just before the public debut of this podcast. In fact, they were the first people I ever told about it. So if my anniversaries are for my most treasured teachers, tying threads, surfacing aspects of myself you might not see, and celebrating with guests who might otherwise be reluctant to come on, then this year, my third year, only one man would do. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Glenn Barker, and he's the former executive director of the Mankind Project Chicago Center. Now, depending on who you are, those words might not mean much to you, so let me put them into context. Glenn has listened to the hearts, souls, and stories of thousands of men. Have you ever truly listened to a man tell you his story? A brother? family member, husband, father, or friend? Have you given him time to lay out his life before you, triumphs, tragedies, and all? What did you learn from that? What did you gain? Might you call it wisdom? Now imagine doing that for a living, for a decade. What that means to me as a man is of unspeakable value, and so I hope you won't mind if I don't speak it. I trust you enough to know that I don't need to explain it that we can simply regard the work in respectful silence. Perhaps in that, you can also understand why a man like Glenn would mean so much to me, if only for the things he knows and has learned. But of course, as you'll hear, there's much more to him and us than that. We met while I was filming my documentary back in 2021. And on that trip, he first counseled me through some difficult situations. From there, we stumbled into a semi-regular routine where we just end up talking for hours about meaning and men's hearts. Sometimes he'd call and barge into my life, and I'd pick up the phone and set aside what I was doing 
As the hours ticked by, often late into the night, I learned to listen, eventually picking up on things unsaid, and before too long, found myself walking along beside him down the path of life, and he was walking with me down mine. What we shared in common across our generations was a love for the work, which is what it means to hear from men's hurt and yet still heroic hearts and speak into them with skill. That happened especially during a moment of the Renaissance called the mythopoetic men's movement, way back in the very beginning, now lost in the mists of time in the era before barbells, barbarians, and Bugattis. Though far from perfect, comparatively the mythopoetic men's movement was Camelot, a time of real magic that started something good and true, now culminating in a very different place than it began, which of course is even more good and more true. And what I've hoped to do in my work is bring some of that magic forward to you. Because that world, Camelot, is where I come from. Not forums on Reddit, videos on YouTube, a bootleg PDF of a book, or forwarded tweets. I came from the work, which used to be called men's work, where boys had the chance to become not bigger, wealthier, or more muscular versions of boys, but rather, men. And Glenn was at the center of it. The center of the center of it, doing the work. Imagine what he might have seen. Imagine what he might know. Now give thanks, because you get to hear a bit of both. And I'd like this conversation to inspire you the way that the mythopoetic men's movement inspires me. It showed me at the very beginning of my journey through masculinity how much more is going on with men than meets the eye. From within the materialist red pill or manosphere, that something like a renaissance exists probably seems impossible. But from the high towers of Camelot, I'll tell you that I know where there's a forest. In the forest, there's a lake. At the bottom of that lake is a mystery. That mystery needs an adventurer. And that adventurer is all of us as men. Welcome to the beginning of the Renaissance. Circle up, men. Please make yourself at home. In our conversation, Glenn and I discussed initiated men versus uninitiated men, accountability and cleaning up the past, the stages of a man's life, hearing and listening to men, ascender work and alpha exploiters, making the transition to elder status, and becoming fit at 70. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. With three years behind me, the horizon is stretching out ahead of me, and I couldn't be more excited. You can help this podcast grow by leaving a five-star rating on Spotify, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and especially by sharing this episode or another one of your favorites with a friend. This coming weekend from October 6th through 8th, I'm proud to be the headline speaker at the Man Up Conference in Schenectady, New York at Electric City Baptist Church. On Saturday night, I'll be giving an exclusive talk on men in honor, but I'll be there all weekend for panels, discussions, breakout groups, networking, and more. And the best part is, this conference is absolutely free. So hit the Eventbrite link in the show notes to register, and I hope to see you there. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, providers of hand-roasted coffee beans by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne and his family in Springfield, Missouri. If you drink coffee, and I know you probably do, then Reformation Coffee is where you need to be purchasing your beans to help a good man hand-roast coffee on demand and ship right away, while building into Christendom and glorifying God. You can't find another coffee company in America that promises the same. And if you do, I'll buy you a free bag of Reformation on me. Don't wait for that, though. Go to ReformationCoffee.com right now to buy some fresh beans and use the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag on the house when you subscribe for regular delivery. Again, go to ReformationCoffee.com right now, and when, not if, but when you choose to subscribe, 
Use the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag on the house. And thank you to Brandon, Cassie, Matt, and Rachel for becoming such a vital part of the Renaissance of Men family. For men who are interested in my mentorship, the doors are now open to a bigger and better program than ever. Go to renofmen.com mentorship now to learn more and watch a series of extended video testimonials so you can hear from my top graduates how my program benefited them. Men's work is what I've always wanted to do. Long before I left to travel, I knew it to be my ultimate destination. So I'm proud and excited to be at a place in my life where I can settle down into it and offer my wisdom, heart, and insight to you in service of the glory of God. Again, go to renofmen.com mentorship to learn more now or keep listening to this podcast for more information. A quick note before we get into the conversation. After recording, Glenn and I felt that something we said needed some context. During the recording, we were talking about how men in general ask questions about whether or not they or we are good enough. Glenn landed on an answer that might surprise you and that we thought was correct, but that needed some unpacking. So what we'd like you to hear in his answer, in case it isn't explicitly clear, is that as men, our aspirations to be better will be endless. Yet we all must bravely and boldly do the best with what we've got, wherever we are. With that, please welcome my three-year anniversary guest on the podcast, a great man among great men, a teacher, counselor, mentor, magician, leader, and my friend, Glenn Barker. Hey, Glenn, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today for this big anniversary. Mm, Great to be with you, Will. Thanks. Well, I think, you know, what the audience will have heard by this point, and, you know, is my my usual monologue intro. And and I've had to think really hard about who I want to have on for my anniversary podcast, because it's the sort of thing that, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty special moment. I'm a sentimental kind of guy. And I've thought really hard. And what I would like these episodes to always be is, is my teachers. And so uh, you've been uh, one of my most important and um, vital and, and healing teachers that I've had over the time we've known each other. So I'm very grateful that you that you wanted to come on and have this conversation with me and, and hopefully share some of your wisdom uh, with the listeners, men and women who are tuned in today. Well, great. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Um, uh, I've grown very fond of you, as you know, <laughs> young man. And I, I salute your journey. And what you're trying to do in this world is tough. And uh, I'm here to support you and, and any person, man or woman, uh, entity, organization that is there for the benefit of, of our young men and our, and our men in general. And if uh, I can give some, some, more, some small contribution to you or, or anybody else, I'm, that makes me happy. So uh, glad to be here. And thank you for inviting me on such an auspicious occasion. <laughs> celebrate. Cheers. Let's right? celebrate. Let's cheers. Let's cheers, cheers to you. Dear cheers man. to you, sir. Yes. So yeah. coffee it is. Coffee it is. And you got the best coffee. Who's the coffee uh, company that you're uh, with? Reformation Coffee. There you uh, go. ReformationCoffee.com. Enter the code SUBFREE to, to get uh, one free 12-ounce bag with your new subscription. There you go. You can thank me for the plug, coffee people. Yes. <laughs> send Glenn some coffee. Send me, um, send me a box of coffee, will you? Yeah. So what I realized in, in getting ready to schedule this was that um, I actually attended my new warrior training adventure 10 years ago this month. In fact, yeah. In fact, I could I could probably go back into my Google Calendar 
and find the exact date. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it was sometime in the middle of September 2013. So it's, it's kind of funny that this is all lined up kind of providential in a way that this is all, this is all lined up in the way that it has. Well, for those who don't know what the new warrior adventure is in the, the training, we can maybe give them a little bit of an idea. Yeah. So uh, the way that I usually describe it is a, um, a two day, uh, sorry, a 40 hour men's initiation. So I don't call it, I, I try not to call it a men's retreat because it's not really a retreat. It's just a 40 hour men's initiation for, for men, basically of all ages, 18 and, and up essentially. Uh, and I, then I describe the lack of initiations for men that exists in our, in our current culture and how it, for me, um, was the moment in, in my life when a switch just kind of flipped and I realized now I am a man and I've been, uh, I've, t I've assumed uh, masculine responsibility in a way that no one had ever really given me before, which is kind of assumed I've become an adult male. So clearly I have adult male responsibilities, but somewhere inside I was still, I was still a boy. And it was after the new warrior training adventure that I finally felt as if like, okay, now I'm a man, I better start acting like it. And uh, I think that's probably the greatest benefit that that, that organization uh, has to offer was really that flagship weekend, at least for many years, uh, it, it was. But explain to maybe to those who are uh, unknowing of what what is what do you mean by initiation? What what what, what does that what does that mean? And what is why is it uh, of any kind of importance to anybody? So I, I think of initiation as a moment where a boy is um, both both blessed and burdened with the responsibilities of manhood formally by those he considers in his tribe. When it's like now these responsibilities, you're surrounded by men you respect and admire who hold that and they say, now this is yours, son or, or young man. This is now yours. And that initiation initiates the beginning stages of, of manhood and it terminates boyhood formally it needs to be formally done so that's that's what i that's how i describe initiation generally very good very good and this is conducted uh, typically by the men in, in a society right that'll sometimes willingly or unwillingly take the boys mm -hmm. uh you know when it's before they burn down the village as the saying goes mm -hmm. we have to initiate what's the african proverb right we have to initiate the boys uh otherwise they'll uh, burn down the village just to feel, to feel the warmth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and don't we know that? Yeah. You know, the unregulation of young men uh, being ruled by other young men, pooers, as they're called, you know, mm -hmm. and you get Lord of the Flies. And that reference means that it's being, it's the rule of boys, and the yeah. rule of boys is dangerous. So, without the active intervention of older men into a younger man's life, uh, you risk being guided by uh, other forces, and they will. Uh, those other forces many times are not constructive. So the idea is to, a couple things I think for initiation is to, yes, introduce the young man into the ways of the men and they get all the rights and responsibilities that come with being, uh, taking that role as a man uh, for, the, for, uh, for the benefit of their society. And uh, uh, that's nurtured by other men. So there's the elders and the warriors and the all these, and they look at to learn all these wonderful traits and they're tutored, especially what it is, so that their energy can be transmuted into productiveness mm -hmm. instead of destructiveness. And I think that's, uh, and as you say, uh, that's woefully absent in our society, in our ways, and maybe scoffed at and somewhat um, 
and, you know, smoked and always nip. That's the way the old tribes did it. You know, that's not of our time. But I think uh, in the absence of that, we see the effect. Uh, and doesn't everyone know that a good mentor, talk to any young man or any man who has made a great success of his life and is very happy in his ways and in his own inner being. And he'll talk about the major influences while he was young. Those that guided his way or gave him a boot and a hug, you know, when it was called for. And now he appreciate he or she will appreciate that. Rare will ever you hear someone that doesn't want to thank someone of their past, be that a teacher, or uncle, father, mother, cousin, someone that had taken them under their wing and held them in their heart while holding their feet to the fire. Mm. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. This is big and this is woefully absent. And we could talk about how that happens if you want, but I think that's a good explanation too, if you don't mind me adding to the conversation here of what initiation is about and uh, what can look like different things. So this particular men's weekend was to first separate you from your regular world. So you go off somewhere, you go off to a world, you turn off your phones, you're inaccessible, and they start to challenge you uh, to change your boy psychology into a man psychology. Yeah. What are the things you, you held as a boy you believed to be true? You thought the world was made up this way. Uh, you thought maybe you had only a certain role. All those things get challenged, and hopefully through a great, what they call a descent into a, a moment of truth where you really face yourself and your maybe your greatest fears, you conquer that. And then you realize you have more strength and resilience than maybe you even thought you had. Yeah. And, and, and this this provides not not in speech but in actual conduct on these on these retreats. Uh, it, it proves to you, um, I think, a man in a way that he has he's greater than he might think, and his potential is much greater than maybe he ever knew before. And having that wonderful new humbleness and 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 and, and power at the same time, it's actually quite a beautiful thing to see. That's what a mature the uh, being on the road to a mature masculine self-image is a wonderful thing to see that, that that kind of intervention that turns into that kind of initiation and then fosters, hopefully through groups and the kind of work that you and I do, in, into a, a to establish that long term, you know, as things come and want to drag you back, one back into your old ways, to resist that, to to bring that forward, to not pretend these things don't exist, right? And, and mm -hmm. to make make a way for yourself that is taking more responsibility. I'll put it this way. It's the boys that make excuses, and it's the men who take responsibility yep. for their lives. No question. And so that's what we're, that's what we're here to do. So kind of long-winded, but I hope that helps. Uh, what I hope to do is in encourage anybody who has this kind of wondering, where is the threshold between being a boy and being a man uh, is, and it's it's through an initiation, initiatory type process. You can mark that time. Yeah. So no matter what you do anywhere else, you as you do now, 10 years later, you go, I, that was a discerning moment mm -hmm. in my life. No matter oh, yeah. what else you ever did, that's, that does something to a man. And I think that's, uh, I'm sorry that I can't say that it's, that, it, that it's more readily available, that the men of our world are, are capable and or willing or even have the knowledge uh, to do that. Um, 
Not to say that women don't have a great role, and they do. And I bless women for their valiant efforts to try to raise young men. But we know without the active, active intervention of older, mature males, um, something winds up lacking in many, many of our boys, and it shows up in their behaviors in, in, the, in their older years. Oh, yeah. So we can go on and on for that with that, but I hope that helps our audience to oh. uh, understand why we attribute so much to that initiatory process. Yeah, what I usually tell men, and I think I think intuitively it makes sense to a lot of men, like they can feel inside their hearts that there's something lacking. I usually refer to it as like some psychological switch that gets flipped. Like it just lives in the back of our brain. The switch gets flipped and 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 then it's like, oh, suddenly. And it's supposed to be flipped, you know, 13, 15, somewhere in that, somewhere in that range. And you have so many men walking around for years or decades without that switch being flipped where they're ever acknowledged that you are now a man by the by the elders of the village, by the men of the village, and where they're never forced to achieve anything significant. They never confront that moment of truth, right? Like that was the power of the weekend was to be in this environment of all men and everyone's looking at everybody else. And you have a very clear division between the men that are there to be initiated and the men who have been initiated, very different energy embodied by both groups of men. And you show up in that first moment where you encounter what it's like, if you like for me anyway, I'll speak for myself, to be in a room full of men who felt truly embodied for the first time in, in my life. So they weren't faking it. Like there was something about them that was palpable. And they're powerful. Yeah. Yes, they are you know, very powerful, very powerful men that are not tired. There's a fear piece to it because it, you feel the power and presence of these men. Yeah. And at the same time, there's a safety in that. Yeah. Because you know you're going to be taken care of. And after a while, you start to see the great depth of kindness and compassion in those hearts at the same time. That's why I say, hold them in your heart and hold his feet to the fire. Yeah. That's, it's so funny that you say that because I was just talking to, um, to one of the guys in my men's group today about bullying. And about how there are so many guys in the in the dialogue about masculinity all over the place who don't hold men in their hearts and they just hold their feet to the fire and that's it, right? And it's like, I'm doing this for your own good. It's like, well, you know, you have to do, you have to be able to hold the men in your heart, but some guys don't have enough space in their heart. And so it just ends up being bullying. The ability to do both, the hold in the heart and the hold the feet to the fire is more fatherly. Holding feet to the fire is more brotherly, right? And there's a big difference between the mm. two. Great analogy, and you're so so right. And that this shows again the the, the lack. A couple of things I want to say. One is the lack of uh, true masculine uh, uh, authority, yeah. uh, in, 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 in held in the mature sense of it. Uh, for instance, we know that uh, what is the difference between now that we said that? Um, what's the difference between uh, an initiated man and an uninitiated man? I I think one of the differences is that uninitiated men are adult males with boy psychology. They're driving very powerful ad adult male bodies around, but there's ultimately on some level a boy driving driving the bus, driving so, the machinery. Give an example, you know, elaborate on that a little bit too. What does that mean, a boy psychology? Mm -hmm. I, would, I would say a boy psychology looks for, looks for areas to abdicate responsibility. 
right? As opposed to looks for areas to take on board more responsibility or looks to take on board the responsibility, actively seeks out areas of responsibility to take on without overburdening himself. And boy, psychology seeks to minimize the areas of responsibility and abdicate on the ones that he already has in front of him. And on the opposite spectrum, I would add to that, that there's a lot of heroics in boy psychology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't relate. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and believe me, the hero is a wonderful piece, but it's an immature part of what turns out to be the warrior king. Oof. Right. So the <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. right. So the so the heroics of of a of an uninitiated man. And another thing, one thing that hit me when I first started this work many, many years ago, a man said that same question to me. He goes, the difference between, and I said, I didn't know what the difference between an initiated man or an uninitiated man was. I floundered, and he said, Let's, I'll tell you something very plain, he said. The difference between an initiated man and an uninitiated man, the initiated man is dangerous, and he knows it. Mm. Yeah. And that means also that an uninitiated man is dangerous too. And let's explain why. Mm -hmm. The unwittingness of, of an uninitiated man who's in his boy psychology, who's going through his life, and maybe these heroics or in these what's called what shadow behaviors, we'll get to that, which are unconscious old stories of his youth or old stories about how the world's supposed to be. That inability to examine that and wonder if that's really true in an adult can certainly be dangerous or his passivity can be dangerous, right? Or is yeah. over, overextending of, of his angers and his warrior taking over and ignoring everything else except his mission, that's dangerous too. So the initiated man gets the complexity of the forces that want to shape his life and says, wait a minute. And he steps back and says, what's the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. He questions it and then, and then accepts the fact that he has these entities like we'll talk about maybe archetypes a little bit these forces part of it's his youth his psychology his upbringing his lack of mentoring but he knows that the initiated man does he says you know what on this point i need counsel mm -hmm. i'm going to talk to some friends because i'm troubled and i'm not sorting this thing out and i'm triggered which means you know i'm upset and i'm going to do something that i don't want to do so i'm going to pause I'm going to pause and I'm going to work this, unpack this and work this thing out. Yay. Yay <laughs> for the man who can do that. And woe to the man and those who are in relationship with him who are so unaware. And I don't blame them for this, but they're so unaware that, well, put it this way. By 35 years old, that's why the average age of these weekends is between 35 and 45. These things start to dawn on the man anyway. Yeah. You said that you can feel that when you're 12, 13, you know that you're becoming a man, all kinds of things are, you're growing hair and growing all kinds of stuff and new feelings are coming online. That's the time to really do it, but it doesn't happen in Western society. But at 35 years old, mm -hmm. a lot of men start to go, wait a minute, that's, I've been through three marriages and two jobs and I'm not a millionaire yet and I don't have this. And What's wrong with my view of the world? So they start to get that it, that those stories, that way of being as a, a that you adopted as a younger man, is not working in real life, right? It was yeah. a fantasy, much of it, you know, and it was hopeful, wishful thinking, uh, ego, whatever, grandiosity, you know, or, or whatever was playing itself out. And at thirty-five, you start to get it. Oh man. Uh, I, I need a new philosophy. I need a new outlook. I need to get grounded 
get out of my head and get connected to what's what's really matters for me because this is if you don't do that by 35 by 45 what happens what do they call a man at 45 who gets divorced and goes and buys a car why are they what do they call that midlife crisis right yeah. and what i say about that in part is that's the real marker for a man if he hasn't done his work by 45 it's, it's coming up it's screaming at him yeah Mm -hmm. address these issues dude yeah in a big big way and so what happens is he does a hard break and that's a divorce is and he wants to get regain his youth and everybody goes through that a little bit that's understandable but to do it consciously versus unconsciously all the difference in the world so uh anybody watching all this backstory is to hopefully give you some kind of context to what this world of really bringing, maturing a man, uh, how important it is. And it's not towards perfection. It's towards a responsible acceptance of your own limitations and your own potentials, right? Taking stock of those things, right? Uh, building strength on what you can build on, honoring yourself in that regard, and deconstructing the boy start to take him apart and knowing when he comes back rearing his head and understanding what that looks like so that you can hopefully like we say live live a life of less regrets going forward mm. and heal yeah. though and heal as best as you can heal those things that have either traumatized you impacted you or the lies you've told yourself unknowingly and those old beliefs that are not not helping you any longer to reassess those and hopefully put honor them but put them aside it's adopt a new set of beliefs for this time in your life and i think that happens at 35 if not it must happen at 45 if not once a man hits 60 what happens then <laughs> crisis absolutely and you see it in the men that are uh, that are weak and frail and bitter and 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 uh uh uh, uh well very unhappy in their lives, right? I understand that. And it's not that this makes you a happy man to do this, but I think there's, once you've done the, enough of this work, hopefully at least those things that are very impactful to your lives, you have a greater, under, a man would have a greater understanding of, of what those are. So these things could be lessons, uh, right? So if you can't win, at least learn <laughs> yep. from, from what, from, from 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 these things and, and apply yourself and a man that gets to be in his 60s and has got that you can see it he's more subtle he's got more to give right he's more yeah. generative he's actually says i'm gonna go you know oh i'm not gonna run any more marathons but i'm gonna help some other young men you know that i really admire uh encourage them too because i've got the generativity now the part that's been it's not all about me anymore Hopefully at 60, right? It's about yeah. what you can give back. And that's a very helpful and healthy sign. So um, much to talk about in this, but um, that's a good start, huh? Very good start. Lots of different, lots of different roads through the through the forest. We can follow with that one. Yeah, um, we can go we can go through all the stages of life. There's so much. This is a wonderful world that uh, all you men out there realize and, and women too please uh that once this door gets opened i hope you find it fascinating uh for what it can do for you uh you're not accepting someone else's rules you're really taking stock of the world and your own self and and 
looking to see how you could apply yourself, right, to to uh, to the best of your abilities, and that accepting your limitations, saying that's pretty good. I, I like me when I'm like this. <laughs> you know, yeah. What a good place to be in, uh, and it's not guaranteed. It's not a hundred percent in every single thing, and do the work. Yeah, do the work. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the best. Hey guys, that's as good as it gets. <laughs> that's as good as it gets. Yeah. So, uh, uh, with that, I invite you all to look, look at this kind of work, uh, Toolman's work, and maybe Will and I can help you discern what is really good men's work versus a lot of things that are out there that are very men that are very charismatic and, and very successful. But maybe what uh, what they're really demonstrating is an extreme of an archetype that has, not to say it's, it's not destructive, say, but it's going to cost him. And it's going to cost you if you think that, if you believe that that is the way. It is a way. And maybe we'll get into those ways. It, what are the what are the impacts and consequences of a different journeys you can take through this life? Mm. Good things to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I fear I've hijacked uh, the conversation. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you've listened to the podcast before and you find that I do most of the listening. <laughs> well, no, I mean I, I'm I'm completely on board with all that. And there's so many different there's so many different topics that I want to pursue. And I think the first one. Um, that jumps out is is the notion of of blind spots, right? And 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 how important it is as men that we begin taking responsibility for our blind spots, the things that we won't look at in our lives, the things we don't look at, the things we haven't been trained how to see, and just how many we have until we begin doing this exploration. And I think that was the that was one of the most powerful things for me was to recognize that I even had blind spots in particular ways to begin with. Like, of course, everyone hears, oh yeah, we all have blind spots. We all know that. But to get a glimpse that first time of like, oh wow, there's a lot of things in my life that I haven't been able to see that I didn't even know were there. My own assumptions, beliefs, behaviors, habits, et cetera, that are absolutely just crushing my life and keeping me trapped in the spot. Like I'm the one holding me here. And to begin to begin doing that work, that's what you, that's what I took from you saying do the work. That was such a liberating a liberating process for me. So liberating, in fact, that from September 2013, uh, two years later, less than two years later, is as as many of my listeners will know. And I think you and I have talked about was when I was going to Burning Man for that fateful trip to Burning Man that ultimately sent me on the journey around the world. And so, like beginning that work less than two years later with full commitment to it, full weekly commitment to it, I had liberated myself so much from my own assumptions and beliefs to be able to begin living a life that led me here where I am now. But engaging with that work can be very scary. It can be terrifying, actually. It's very confronting. There can be a lot of, um, a lot of very productive guilt and shame, like, oh, yeah, that was, that was me. I did that, right? And, and ownership. But like, if, you can, if, you can, if you can, I guess, forgive yourself, find forgiveness for it, it's, you have the ability to finally grow, but you have to look on. You have to look under the. You have to look under the carpet. You got to see what's actually under there. But when you say that this is as good as it gets, there is a certain rush to that. There is a certain like, oh, I get the opportunity. I get the opportunity to fix my behavior and to acknowledge my wrongdoing and change. And that's if, a if real, your shame hasn't hasn't hijacked you and you've completely yeah. gone into a cave to hide hide and lick your wounds. Yes, but that's another propensity of a lot of men. Yeah. 
right? And I, I do, I do the same thing, but I'm really hurting. You know, I really want, I really want to isolate. Uh, yeah, and that's that's that that's a thing, and I think that's somehow built in the DNA uh, DNA of men. But tell me something, Will. Yeah, how did you recognize that you had a blind spot? What 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 occurred to you that first made you realize this is for the benefit of who's ever watching too? I, I have I'm, I suspect it's something, but you tell me. I think the the most powerful. But what started it, I'd have to think through more of them, but what started it was really the question of integrity. Like, do I do what I say I'm going to do? It, does my word mean something to me? Or have I said that I'm going to do many different things to many different people, including myself, and I'm not doing them? And when I really felt the weight and the pain that I had been suppressing of being out of integrity with my word, that was the first time that I recognized I had a major blind spot. It's like, oh, wow, I, I commit to things and I don't follow through on them for myself and others. And that that hurt. That really hurt, especially with that first integrity piece that starts off the, the New Warrior Training Adventure, that first thing like, you know, did you bring, I don't know how much we can talk about. I don't know if they're even still running these retreats. I don't want to spoil too much, but like, did you bring that, you, the thing that you said you were supposed to you bring? Could, you, you agree to bring, bring things like food or, and, and, and objects yeah. along with you. And first yeah. piece of accountability, yeah, is did yeah. you bring it? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I did, uh, but, but seeing other people called onto the hot seat, it's like, why didn't you do that? And to see them be confronted in a room, I mean, it's well, be careful. Like, say, what did you do instead? What did you do instead? Yes, that's the yes, exactly, exactly. But to see the men, but to see the men challenged, to see a man stand up and to be confronted in a room full of like eighty or a hundred men in front yeah. of everybody, like, did yeah. you do the thing you said you're going to? No. Yeah. What did you do instead? Well, this is a call to account. Call yes. to account. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and, and you know, the language matters, and I, I acknowledge that. So, um, to see that and to feel that inside my own my own heart, and to be sitting there and like, I hope no one's looking at me, and all the other guys are sitting play, around, like, play small, play small. <laughs> exactly. Don't look at me. Don't look at don't me. Look at me. <laughs> exactly. But we all felt that. And it was like, that was the big wake up call. It was like, oh, this is, this is serious. This weekend is going to be serious. That was a real, that was the beginning of yeah. the turning points for me. There were more, yeah. but that was the beginning of it. Yeah. What I'll, what I'll also, for the benefit of our audience, hmm. uh, you'll have a one-off incident where you're blown through your integrity. And that's a process we could talk about how to yeah. address that uh, uh, commitment you've made and you're out of integrity and out of accountability. But let me be clear. I would, I'll make an assumption here that what you're recognizing too is also a pattern, mm -hmm. right? So you, once you realize, oh, I'm not keeping my promises and commitments to myself or others, and then you can go switch and then you look back and go there and there and there and yep. there and there and there and there and there. And holy crap, I have been doing this forever. Mm -hmm. And I've been letting myself off the hook forever. Yeah, And now... That's not okay. Yeah. Right? Now you're onto something. Now you followed the trail, you know, into the forest, and it's time to do the work. What is it about you that's, that's we don't have to process this, but anybody would say, what is, what, what is it, uh, you know, what is it about you, mister, that, <laughs> that has permitted this to happen? Basically, are you unconscious? Uh, do you, are you a people pleaser? Uh, uh, are you just grandiose, or, or uh, do you get scared and overcommit? You know, it's and then of course it ball backs into how did that get started? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, 
to do that kind of work. And um, so how did you sort this thing out and what did you do about it? Well, or what me, are you doing? This might be still in process, I guess. But I mean, it's going to rear its head too, right? Sure. It's going to have to watch that you don't fall into the same hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the moment, if I can rewind the clock, if I can rewind the clock 10 years, you know, it was it was a feeling of two different things. It was all the areas of my life that I was out of accountability in current in the moment. This is 2013. And then all the times in my past leading up until that point when I had been out of, out of accountability and who I was out of accountability with. And, uh, and, but then also a, a remembering of those moments of when I, when I was accountable, when I was count onable, when I did, when I did follow through and do what I said I was going to do, even when it was difficult, or even when it was painful, it's like, nope, you got me. I said that I'm going to do it. How good it felt in a, in a, and I don't know what the word is. It's not pleasurable. I don't know. I think everyone will probably understand intuitively, intuitively what I mean. It's called satisfying. There you go. So, um, so that, that satisfying feeling of wanting more of that in my life. And so yeah. what I engaged in following that all the way up until 2019, so six years and then, and then, and then into 2020 was one by one person by person getting back into accountability. In fact, I called up people from my past you know, if it really? felt, yeah, if it felt practical, if it felt practical, like I would get back in touch with people and say, Hey, I'm really sorry how that went down. And for the most part, you know, people were like, Oh yeah, no big deal. Like, thanks. Appreciate it. But they didn't, it didn't land with them the same way it did for me. But I still knew that, Hey, that thing that happened back there, I'm sorry about that. You needed to clean that up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you hear that, man? So if you make that kind of mess, it might have not have impacted people, or maybe it did greatly. Who knows? You don't mm -hmm. know. But to go back, as Will just said he did, to go clean up his messes, yeah. right? To get back in integrity. And hopefully, uh, if you do this right, you, know, you can't ask people to really accept you back. But if they understand what you're trying to do and that you're there to heal what, what you felt may have impacted them negatively or adversely most most people get that and say i honor that thank you for that uh it didn't have the impact you thought but obviously it meant a lot to you and i hear you and good on you man you're cleaning up if there's if they get this stuff they're gonna say yeah. you're, you're cleaning up your past aren't you you know yeah. yay well done well done. Uh, when you get done, come back and teach me how, would you? Because I could use some of that too. Yeah, yeah sure. Sure. Yeah. That's a, do you have to? No. But how does it feel to do that? It felt incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, to be able to look back well, on why? my past. Why? It, what, 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 what does it do for you? What's the feeling? What's the experience? Why? Why is that important? Why should everybody I think, care? I can, I can think of a couple different reasons. One is that I don't have to look back on my past with regret. Right, I'm able to free myself from less regrets, as you said. Um, and then, but then the other aspect of it is, I found over time that it was it was uh, my way, you know, God's way of redeeming these events that that I had experienced. That by going through the process of thinking through, okay, this situation deep in my past, deep deep in my like ten years, fifteen years prior, even more sometimes. Okay, that was I didn't handle that well. Right. And maybe there was even mutuality, but I can't do anything about them. I can do something about me. I didn't handle that well. Let me go figure out what precisely did I do wrong? 
Like, let me think through that entire experience and let me find the exact precise thing that I said, what I did, what I meant, whatever, and find that did not feel good. I don't like that about me. And I have to go call that person up and I have to apologize for that specific thing and acknowledge it about myself. And then once I acknowledge it and speak it about myself, I have to change it. And so that led to such powerful growth and humility in those moments that it was, it was, it was crushing to my unhealthy pride in just the right way, but I needed it desperately. And then, and then it freed me in these very powerful ways. So many are watching, look at this. This is just one of a million ways to take another burden that you've, that you've loaded in your knapsack that you didn't even maybe know you had yeah. until it comes into your psyche that, you know what? I've been a jerk in this regard for a long, long time. And I'm going to take one of them burdens out. You know, I, I, I might have hurt this person at one point in time. All right, you know, gather your courage and say, hey, listen, uh, I've something happened years ago and I'd like to talk about it with you. And I feel I need to own this part of what I did. And, um, you know, it still burdens me. And I, I, I feel like I've done an injustice to you. And isn't there, in a way, uh, so what I'm asking for is is to acknowledge this, and I don't know how you feel. I'm not, I just accept the fact that I know this, and I may have had, had an impact on you, and that burdened me. And I'm hoping that uh, it didn't impact you too terribly negatively. I don't know, but if you want to comment, you can. If not, I understand. But I just want to thank you for hearing me because I wanted to unburden myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's if that's okay, and uh, boy, people are so kind. Mm-hmm. They truly are, um, unless I'm sure at some point somebody could say, "Yeah, you jerk, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know what you did, ba 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 ba." The impact of that, you wrecked this and you ruined that for me, and you're like, Phew. you know, then you just take shut shut up and don't look for forgiveness and just take what's coming. Yeah, they have to unload now. Just take take what's coming and realize you can't fix that. Yeah, you know. Um, but you can make yourself present and known and realize this, they're, all, they're not all going to be pretty, okay? These things are not going to be and go in a neat little package so you can move on with your life. You might wind up hanging up the phone and feeling worse because <laughs> you realize actually you're a bigger jerk than you thought you were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why we're going through this process and these talks we're having now to realize the impact and consequences of your actions and your inactions, right? There's things that you've never done, but because you never did it, it's a problem. And there's stuff that you've done. Sometimes great. And sometimes you caused a lot of problems for yourself and others. Going forward, what we're hoping to do is realize what those things mean, unburden yourself from those things from the past so that you can say, that's because I'm renewing myself. And yes, I think in a sense, we're all looking for forgiveness. We'd all like to have these things resolved in a, in, in a spirit of forgiveness and, and uh, uh, getting righteous again, you know, or, or you know, get the blessings to feel, feel uh, that we've been absolved of that. Uh, but that's no guarantee. Uh, it's just, just part of the work. Some of it does not end up pretty, but it is the mess that we make. Yeah. And it's ours to either clean up or push aside. And it sounds to me well, like, well, this was a time in your life where you saw the pattern long enough where you said to yourself, nope, the best thing, best choice I can make now is to go clean up my past. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that's it, what uh, you did. Yeah. And if yeah, you feel like you've unburdened yourself to a, a, a large degree by, by doing that, what, what has it done for you? I mean, I don't look back into my past now and, and, and feel regret over things in the same I'm not going to open that door anymore. No, right. right. Now, now it's open, right? Yeah. There are things, there are things that hurt, right? There's, I mean, like everybody else, like yeah. falling asleep at night, I think about the thing that I did in that moment where it's like, I cringe, like, oh, how could I have done that? But that's not the same as going back and apologizing for something that I actually did wrong through action or inaction. Like I have the, like, every, like anybody else, but the things that really, the, the things that really give me regret were it really highlighted aspects of uh, my character through action or for, through immaturity, action or inaction, where I really caused someone pain or, or I feel in my heart convicted over it. Those are the ones that I went back and cleaned up. And it taught me how to apologize. Like I've said this before, like hmm. I know how to apologize. I don't love that. I know how to apologize, but I'm <laughs> grateful that I know how to apologize. And, and my experience of that was like, and I don't use this word often, but that's where vulnerability really comes in because vulnerability is the ability to be wounded and to right. and to really apologize to somebody sincerely right. open yourself up exactly and say, right if, yes. if, if you were to st- i'm gonna i'm gonna make myself available to be stabbed in the heart here metaphorically yes. yeah and <laughs> and you give them you give them the weapon yeah yeah because because i because my conscience convicts me that somehow i harmed you and so now now I'll, i will i will apologize and make myself able to be wounded in response either through harsh words or through a rejection of the apology or whatever however yeah. it shows up this is this is fair and then it's on, and then it's of course on them to forgive and there's such a beautiful thing in our hearts when we actually forgive someone who has wronged us it's it's joyous to be able to do that and that is a that is a moment for them that gives them the chance to discover their higher nature and it's a beautiful a beautiful moment that can happen if they get there um, and i was blessed to experience some of those as well where we both walked away from like wow something really special happened right there very profoundly human moment but it took it took a lot of courage <laughs> it really so bothered imagine, me imagine being the let's put it let's put the shoe on the other foot imagine being the recipient of one of those calls or someone calls you out of the blue and you go Oh, that jerk or whatever. You know what I mean? Or that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't talked to them in 10 years. Yeah. Hi. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Will, what's up? <laughs> so imagine being the recipient of that call and going, holy crap. Let me get this right. You're mm. calling me up because you felt you'd done me or wrong. And so what do you want, Will? You know, uh, I know how I feel about it. Great. I, I feel that, uh, yeah, it's something that bugged me too. I didn't make a lot of it, uh, but it, it made me distant from you. It made me say, I don't know if I trust this guy. And uh, But now you called me up. That's pretty big. What mm-hmm. made you do that? I would, just because it's me. I said, what made you want to call me up? You can say, well, I notice I've done this a lot of times in my life, and I just... I don't want to be like that no more. So I want to own my shit, as it said. You know, I just want mm-hmm. to own my stuff and and uh, clean it up. I kind of going through a a new way of just cleaning up my past. And I hope you accept an apology. I'm calling. But wow, if I got a call like that, it'd be like I couldn't cut this guy up. It'd be mm-hmm. like even if I couldn't forgive him, I go, I will. I very much appreciate that. And I, and it takes a lot of courage. And uh, thank you. But I tell you, being the recipient of a call like that would be quite wow, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Say, wow, someone called me up because they wanted to mend fences. Pretty yeah. cool. Pretty cool. 
right? Especially from the deep past. Someone you haven't heard or heard from or talked to in years, like tracks you down, sends an email, you know, yeah. say, hey, you know, remember me? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I did that. And for things that, that, that many people considered that it was nothing to them. Right. Right. But, right. but it mattered it was, to you. It mattered a lot to me. It's like, so we're, like we're back to this piece now about, see, this is, this is the benefit of being yeah. a self-aware on the road to being a mature masculine man. Yeah. To say, I'm not going to pretend that this doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. It does. And so now I'm going to take, I'm not going to make an excuse for it. I'm going to take on the responsibility to go clean it up. Yeah. Right. Because to the best of my ability, this ain't going to happen no more. And so I got this back road to clear up because I don't want to carry that burden no more. Right. Yep. I want to clean up what I can so I can move on and be free of the shackles of this behavior or this propensity that I have to be either selfish or caustic or, or, or to duck and dodge and not take respect, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. I've had it. No more. Uh, so let's clean up the past and call this another, a new start, a fresh start. God, this is great. Mm -hmm. Imagine, imagine the myriad of things that can go on uh, through this kind of work, men that that you can address, not so that you can become weak, so because actually so you can grow muscles in this regard. Yeah. Right, right. This takes real courage to say, "Hey, I'm." You're not crying in your soup. You're owning your crap. You're cleaning up your mess. Right. You're going to get a bucket and a shovel, and you're going to go in there and clean it up. <laughs> yep. Right. You know, yeah. a, a boy's going to avoid it. You're not obligated to do this, man, but I'm saying, look what it did for Will. That's all I can say. Look what it did for this man, right? Mm -hmm. I can actually, uh, as you were saying that, I can actually articulate what the specific benefit was. This, this is probably going to be, uh, well, maybe hard for people to imagine, but I used to have a pretty bad temper. And um, it would just come out under certain circumstances even though I'm a, a generally a pretty soft-spoken guy. Um, and it was really scary for people. And I would get into a very scary kind of place. I would kind of go, I would go unconscious, right? And mm -hmm. so it was through over years, over years of having to go back and clean up those messes where I got really angry, like not violent, you know, not like smashing things or any physical danger, but like whole body posture changing, voice getting raised, like my face getting mm -hmm. distorted and anger. I could feel it happening. And so, uh, over things that were ultimately, ultimately meaningless, but whatever tripped something in me for whatever reason. So I had to go back and clean all those up and over doing that so many times, it taught me like, I don't ever want to do this again. I feel awful at having witnessed this pattern and having seen all the pain that I've caused people, all the times that I've, I don't know, scared people, scared them away, really overreacted in some very gross ways and how much, and how diminished I feel in terms of their respect for me and how unworthy of respect I was being in those moments. I don't ever want to feel that way again. And like you said, it's developing muscles that has really given me strength to, yeah. uh, to moderate my emotional intensity, which I can have. And I needed to develop that because emotional, like the ability to feel deeply is a gift. I tell this to men being able to feel deeply is a gift, but you have to learn how to master it. It's a muscle like anything else. Also pretty and, darn scary too. I mean, the, yeah. the emotion in men, when that door opens up, it's deep. Yes. A lot so of men don't men get don't, that. Well, they don't take it lightly. That's I think that's, if you're going to open that door, it's like, whoa, there's yes. a long journey in. Yeah, it's very intense for men.
Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, for my own unique configuration, I always had access to that door in various ways, but it took me years to begin to learn how to master it, to channel it creatively, you know, to channel it inspiringly, to channel it into leadership or, or writing or whatever it was I did. But there were so many ways it just came out sideways. And I was like, oh, I was misusing my own gifts or my own abilities. That's real shadow stuff, right? And so going to clean those things up and having to really humble myself in front of people and be like, I really, I really screwed that up. And I'm sorry. Let's also be clear with men, right? So becoming a mature man doesn't mean being a doormat. Okay. So let's realize something, you know, what it means is if you were acting out of a rage, like this happens to a lot of men that I said that are very uh, congenial. They're, they're soft-spoken, but you back them into a corner, and the rage comes out Yeah, because they don't, don't have that balance between uh, their – whereas their assertiveness can, when it can come out because they've been a doormat for so long, right? Yeah. So it's the nice people pleasers that went up in the back of the line, and then, like I say, something happens where they just – it goes too far. And then what happens? The other end of the spectrum comes out. And the beast finally comes out, right? Mm-hmm. So you're running away from the beast in you. So let's try to incorporate that beast and that and that peacemaker in you, right? So that you can have appropriate aggression when it's necessary. There's a time, men, right? You can say, no, this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. No. Am I understood? You need the ferociousness to know that that, that warrior, that you know, that massive energetic ball that could rip you to rip someone to shreds is there but he's on a leash don't let don't make me let go of this leash man mm-hmm. don't go there right now you got a control of of, of that because you can and then because why because you want to be a sweetheart if you can <laughs> right right yeah, so kind kindness there you go. You do. You want to, to, real, to be kind. Uh, Authentic and, kindness. Yes. And, and, and generous with people and, and not get so triggered, as we say, which is meaning you got set off. Right. Something, something snapped and all of a sudden you're you know, in another place. You're like, whoa, what? We can explain trigger, but maybe that, maybe that doesn't enough. So let's be careful, man, to be a mature man is to understand your rage and just to keep it on the leash, to keep your short... You can put your hand on your sword, but it's in the sheath, and you're only going to pull it out at extreme measures, right? Mm-hmm. But you still have a sword, and you still have a monster, you know, but he's on a leash. And I think you need to call that forward when it's needed so the aggression and the assertiveness can be palpable. Mm-hmm. But it because you get triggered and you get set off, and now you're, now you're into some situation that, where people are getting hurt. When you think about it later, it was, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. this is what we're trying to get to. So, see what we're saying, man? It's not transforming you into something that you're not. It's like really taking control of these pieces so that you're driving the bus. Amen. You are the man. You, you are, right? Not because I was born this way or because I'm this or I'm that or this was my family or no, no, no. You're the one. I'm the one driving my bus. When I'm making excuses, I'm in my boy mentality. When I'm taking on the responsibility of those impacts and consequences, I'm growing up as a guy, as a man. It's the message we're trying to get. Are we getting, are we we getting, are we getting through? (laughs) Knock, knock. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 
No, I mean, it, it was the, it was the continual, it was the continual process of having experienced that, that was like, okay, I have to do something to address this. And then there was also, um, it, it was the, it was seeing the pattern. Um, but then there's a, there's a pastor I really like, Vody Bauckham, who talks about strength, like a, a weak man, if you give him, if you give him a sledgehammer and you tell him to, here's an egg, you set an egg down and you say, now, now I want you to swing the sledgehammer and bring it to a stop just before it hits the egg. Like he can't, a weak man can't do that. He can get, they can swing, swing the sledgehammer, but it's going to crush the egg. A strong Let's man can take, it. that's right. Exactly. We'll stop it right there. And like that, I think that's, that's a great like example that. of what you're talking about, but that has to be learned. Because some men have, I think some men have a, I'm going to speculate, some men have naturally have more physical gifts. Some men have more mental gifts, right? Emotional gifts, spiritual gifts. There's all different kinds of gifts for all different kinds of men. So for whatever reason, I always was very emotionally fluent. Sometimes I would get carried away by the currents of my own emotion, but I had to learn to to navigate that. And it was only through years of making so many mistakes that I then had to go clean up. Or so maybe not let not let yourself be possessed by that. Yeah. Right. Because if that once it takes over, now where are you in the equation? You're being ruled by this emotion instead right. of you ruling over the emotion. Right. Yes. Great sign of a difference between a boy and a man. Mm-hmm. And be initiated to understand that I rule my emotions; they don't rule me. Yeah. And initiation wasn't, didn't magically do it. Initiation started the process of me recognizing. Exactly. Yeah. We're doing the work, Will, right now. You're seeing a man in process right now doing the work. (laughs) Yep. You know, so realize we're hopefully hopefully doing here, at least in this segment, is to say, realize the value that men can have in each other's lives, to know how to unpack these kind of things without shame and blame, to understand, understand what's happening and to, and to take charge, to take charge of what was theirs to take charge of. Now, if you were abused as a child, that's, that's not your fault. Yeah. You know, there are things that happen, you know, from bullies and abusers, you know, and tyrants. At this day, you could be working somewhere where you're under the thumb of some tyrant, and it's your job, and it's your insurance, and it's the food on the table for your family and kids, and you're just under someone's thumb or under their heel. That's that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you really got to control. You got to limit your exposures, which you have to do with this. And so, some of these situations are very, very tough. But if you have patterns of that. Uh, in your past and just things you can clean up. That's what this little segment was about. It's just how to unburden yourself or the patterns once you understand that there's something going on throughout your life. This is a pattern. A one-off is a one-off. It could be an accident. It could be circumstance. It could be triggered. That's not a big deal. But a pattern, you say, oh, God, I've been doing this forever. That's, that's, That's worth looking at. Mm-hmm. It's and and men don't have a lot of tools to help them look at it. No, that's you have to create specific environments and you have to have specifically trained men at least a little bit, right? Or you need things that might have been more intuitively available through, through through various social conventions that we just don't have anymore. And so now we have to create special. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't around a hundred years ago, but um, you know, I, I can I can say that it seems like there's some knowledge lost of how men disciple each other in these various behavior things, or maybe, or maybe we're just brave enough as a society to confront these problems. Now I don't really know. 
Well, it, it turns into kind of an, a self-help industry, you know, yeah. uh, psychology. What, how a lot of these things were resolved in the past was just sort of tutelage and mentorship. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you couldn't be a successful man at some point, uh, turn of the century. And if you didn't have apprentices, people looked at you like, so you're a rich or successful or a great blacksmith or something. Whereas you're, you don't, you're not nurturing some younger men. Mm. What's with you? Right. You know, if you're a successful professor, lawyer or something, you had understudies. So now I don't think those were specific emotional intelligence works, but I yeah, think in essence, yet, I should say, in essence, you know, they knew that you don't give a man a sword who doesn't know how to dance. <laughs> Yes. Right? Yeah. First teach him the humility and, and, and the dance, and then you can give him a sword. And he, the idea was that, no, kid, I, I want you to learn art. Uh, I want you to learn how to paint. Go read some poetry. What's that got to do with painting? Do you want to be my student? Go do the work. Guy gets it. He starts to see the beauty and the written word, and it gives him imaginings. And he's like, oh. and he gets switched on to a world that the mentor, he didn't really know what he was, the lesson he was teaching, except that. He knew how to enrich the young person's life mm-hmm. so that they were, had a fulfilled uh, a, a spectrum of light. Or they would send, them, send the kid abroad if you can. Send them around the world. Uh, go somewhere for a while. Go visit your relatives in, at the farm or at the city. These experiences, whether they knew it or not, I think a lot of them did, was to get the boy out of the boy psychology and more into a self-deprecating, uh, generative uh, worldview that would give me some perspective. There, you think, you know, you maybe got some privilege. You, you think you got a tough being a blacksmith. I, I, go to go on your uncle's farm for a month mm-hmm. and see how tough it is. You know, so as you come back, you all of a sudden being a blacksmith ain't so bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think there was a lot of, you know, there was, I think there was just, out of necessity, I think there was maybe maybe there was more uh, tutelage and and um, mentoring. Well, I mean, I think I think in terms of that mentorship, in terms of that discipleship, in terms of that, you're bringing up the next generation in the blacksmith smith shop or the tailor or on the farm or whatever. Like maybe there isn't a lot of direct emotional, you know, yeah. tutoring, but there's also a component of uh, if you if you take a boy who starts showing up in the shop. And he's feeling kind of whiny or petulant that day or doesn't want to do the thing, you know, like, well, you still got to show up and do the thing. And and the, the father or the mentor is there to show that to him. And then also on the other side, show him the joy of setting aside his concerns, his cares, and actually focusing on the doing of the thing. So I don't know that they ever would have framed it in such explicit psycholo- psychological or self-help terms, but the doing. There's, there's another piece too, to be around uh, an older man. Yeah. Whether you know it or not, you're going to watch how he reacts to things. Yeah. And that's going to be your modeling of how, as a young man, that's that's what you look for. How do the older men react to the things that impact them? And to have as much exposure as, you say, an apprentice to a blacksmith would have, you're going to see the guy when he's pissed, when he's happy, when he's joyous, when he's with his wife, right? And you're going to get clues from that. Right now, maybe we get them from the movies or we get them from... Uh, these, these other things, but men are always, young men especially, are, are grabbing yeah. at, at different parts of masculinity that they can maybe take in. Yeah. Now, they have this long exposure to uh, hopefully a series of older males. 
this blacksmith who's a tough, rough guy, you might see him cry if he loses a, if his wife loses a cow in the field. You go, wow, yeah, he really cares. Or his uncle is a much more softer male that really is just as successful, but he's uh, an architect or something, you know. And you get to see by exposure uh, how these men react to things in their lives, and these are lessons, whether you know it. Also, it's almost like emotional food. It's unspoken. But haven't you ever been in a space with somebody where like they're the master of something? And I did this as a young man, I was doing body and fender work. And I was being mentored by a great, a great, he was like a blacksmith. He was gonna make whole fenders for these vintage cars. He was brilliant. A body and fender, like an auto. True, work. a true, yeah. a true craftsman. He could took a piece of metal and he'd make, he'd restore these Rolls Royces and stuff. And I got to work with this guy, right? How his attitude was, meant a lot to me. It was like, this is how you should be in this field. Or it, it, it was, I just realized the impact the guy, now so many years later, what his attitude was like. And sometimes he just throw the hammer across, across, the, <laughs> across the shop, you know what I mean? And get drunk. Another time he would treat his paint jobs like they were ch children of his. He'd look with such discernment and feel. You know, and it just has to be just the sensitivity, you know, and his artistry was just miraculous. So I admired him and feared him and didn't understand him, but wanted to be like him. Uh, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Right? Because he was so skilled and so volatile and so talented. He says he's working on cars. But that's the point. I had a lot of exposure, right? To this, to this mentor who took me under his wing to teach me because he wanted to retire. He wanted me to take over if I could, right? Uh, isn't that interesting though? That's missing is what we're trying to say. Yeah. That that long-term exposure to, to uncles and brothers and, and blacksmiths now, it probably wasn't all fun. I wouldn't want to work my life in a black ship, you know, uh, blacksmith shop, you know, until I was old enough to take over it. I could see why people took off to the city when they could. Right. But um, anyway, so speaking of mentorship, not getting too long in the tooth here, uh, that's not available either. You don't see long-term. Most men spend maybe minutes a day if if they're part of the child's life at all. Uh, it's usually like clean up your room. If you've done your homework, sit down and eat. And don't give your mother a hard time. Yeah, I love you, kid. Good. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll take you to school. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, but it's 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 understandable why, if we say that this is part of young men to need this exposure in such in such doses in such manners that they can start to take it into their bodies and accept that as a way to be in this socialized world. Um, otherwise, what perspectives do you have? You have the, you have the television. You have your mother. You have what the, what women are saying, or what television is saying, or what the gurus are saying and you do your best i think guys are just they're just trying to do their best you know and so they're gravitating towards what gives them juice yeah. you know right? so young men want cars and money they want they want the plumbing of the world to come into their bathtub <laughs> that's all i want just just tell me how to, i'll do what i gotta do just tell me how to get that 
you know, the gold, the riches, the cars, the death, the fame, the death, the death, the body, the death, you know, whatever it is, I want that plumbing to come directly into my bathtub, and that's what matters. Nothing else does matter. That's a, it must be, you must be in your 20s. <laughs> <laughs> or younger, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 18 to 25, 28, and then 28, you start waking up a little bit, 35. Like we said, then you really start to get, oh, it isn't that easy, is it? Mm-hmm. You know? So that's that's the role of initiation and mentorship and, and why these men believe it has such an important role. And if it's absent, now what do you do? Right. Right. So someone watching can say, great, where do I find a mentor? Where do I get these kind of roles? <laughs> I wish I had an answer for you. I really do. And this is the part that saddens me greatly. Yeah, it does. You know, I, I didn't have it either. I found it in books and studies. And I got to meet some of the great men that I admired and kind of bludgeoned and, bludgeoned and fo- fell forward through, <laughs> through the forest. Yeah. Uh, to, to try to discover something that could work because I, I, I wanted something better than the uh, self-help I'll call that ascender work, which is fine, but it's just how to do better, set more goals, be more disciplined, this kind of stuff. And that's uh, nothing wrong with it. Uh, but usually you, you, you wind up sabotaging a lot of that because you're not dealing with the stuff that undermines it, the stuff that sabotages uh, right. your efforts. Uh, so none, very, very little of any of these uh, people that do this kind of work, this ascender work, uh, goal setting, uh, you know, achievement work uh, address yeah, your shadow side the parts of you that says no I, I want to sit there and get fat and drink beer and watch the damn game you know no I don't want to do that I guess I got I guess I got it or so, otherwise I think I'm a you know I'm a slob and I'm a useless and uh, oh well have another beer <laughs> yeah 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 guys this is this is I wish I had answers for everything. I do not. Uh, but look, look, look to men. Will here, Will here is looking to build this men's community. You know, it's just stick with these videos, watch everything you can, be discerning, learn, try to apply yourself, and get involved. Maybe start a men's group in your own area if you can. Just talk to this man. He's the new generation on the forefront of this. Thank you. I and and that's a, that's one of the big things that I've learned from a lot of this was that, you know, I did my own version of Ascender work and, and we all do. I think it's very necessary. But one of the things that um, that goes that goes wrong in this discussion, particularly about masculinity, which is, you know, we'll, we'll say broadly is a specific application of the self-help world. It's much more than that. Obviously, it's much, much deeper than that. But just broadly is that it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Because we can all think of lots of examples of guys that have lots of muscle and lots of money, right? And they got lots of women, but somehow there's an emptiness and they're beginning to, to recognize it. And then when they sell it to other men who go questing after that ascender work, and they're still, there ends up being a, a hollowness to it. And so, yeah, they've got their habits on point. Great. But when you actually, it's like be, begin digging into who they are 
character-wise, you see that they all have all these hangups and blind spots and aggressions and bad broken relationships and everything. And it's like, so there's more to, to, to men than money and muscles is what I've been saying. And so, yes, you can, your habits can be on point, but if your beliefs about yourself and the world are not sorted out, if you don't have a lot of this inner work, like that doesn't mean you have to go digging all the way deep into the, you know, the deepest recesses of your subconscious necessarily, right? That there are people who have been through extraordinarily traumatic events where that might be necessary. But for the vast majority of men, you know, the things that the things that really hurt, that really drive their self-concept and their concept of the world and their their concept their concept of the meaning of life and religion and all that is not too deep below the surface. It's just really scary to look in there. But only by putting together that ascender work, habits with beliefs about yourself and the world, only by doing both of those and they're mutually reinforcing processes. I've found like when I when I really engage in the work of improving myself in terms of habits, then I will naturally run up against a stumbling block of like, oh, I don't believe I'm good enough or whatever to deserve this. Like, well, where did that come from? Or you can begin dealing with the belief and that transforms the habits, but they go back and forth. And it's it's everything that we're talking about that is the whole purpose of, of what I've tried to build in, in my own mentorship program, because that is the thing that's worked for me. I've needed both. And I think men need both. And so like, I don't mean for that to be a shameless plug. There's going to be an ad during the podcast later about it. But it, I mean, what we're talking about is really the things that have made me the man that I am and have gotten me here to be able to offer this stuff. But it's a, it's a part of the discussion. I think it should it, take ownership of that. Will, this, this, you don't <laughs> get to this point in your life where you can even have this kind of discussion, yeah. right? right? With, an old, with an older man and, and be so on point. Uh, it shows you've done the work. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Well, let's be clear, too. When you're 25, you know, 18 to, 20, to 28 or so, you don't care about this. And you probably you shouldn't. I mean... It yeah, would be helpful. Yeah. It'd be helpful, but that's you say. Be, for, forget that. You give me my stuff, and I'll be fine. Be mindful of it. Yeah. Realize that. Well, maybe we'll go more about what what are what are the different types of journeys you can have. But at thirty five, if if you're sitting yeah. there now and you're thirty five years old or so, it's landing on you now. If yeah. you haven't done this work, you're feeling it. This stuff is making great sense to you. And if you're forty five and you haven't done this work, you're gonna go. Be careful because you say, where the hell have I been? How come I don't know about this? Oh, am I kind of, no, stop. It just means that you're here now. You're hearing it for the first time. It is, this is like, it's not secret information. It's just compressed into a small group that really understands these things. And you finally discovered it. Yay, you're here. Yay, we start now, you know. But I'll blame you if you're 25 and you go, oh, you guys, it, you give me my stuff and I'll be happy. I get, just give me the money I want, give me the career I want, and I'm I'm good. Mm-hmm. Well, you probably will be good, but if Will says, if you don't at least under hear this and keep this in the background at 35, you may, may, you may regret the fact that you may have those things but have lost others. Right. It may cost you, right? That you may have more, more regrets down the road, and then you want to back up, like most men do and clean up the messes they made, mm-hmm. you know, starting about 35, 45 years old, you know. So just be mindful, young men and men of 35. You, you hear us quite plainly, don't you? <laughs> men, men of 45 said, yeah, I, yeah, I wish I would have known. We all say that, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're 60 and you're watching this, uh, be blessed. 
because that means you still got the interest and, and the intrigue and there's something here that maybe you can, can get to a place of reconciling. That's really what it's like now in your 60s. What can you finally reconcile, put to rest, and then be generative and be kind to yourself and those others. Have these last part of your journey be one of settling your affairs, right? Blessing those around you, giving back, and having the best sense of well-being you can, you know, for this time. Doesn't that sound about right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I wish that for you. I hope that for you. You know, and uh, do you still have that magic wand I gave you? Uh, I do. It's actually right here. <laughs> I do. It's, it's right here. It's right here by my desk. So it's your subscription desk. to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's your subscription to the to the uh, uh, Renaissance of Men uh, podcast here. So everyone gets a free magic wand. What's what's it? No, no, we're just saying it. I also, have, I also have my balls right here. You got your balls back? Good. So, sorry for those of you who, who are just listening. <laughs> You'll have to go to YouTube and see and see what we're talking about. Um, yeah, and I have so everybody wishes they had a magic wand, don't they? Let's, let's, yeah. let's segment into uh, you know, wishful thinking, a magic wand. It's a great conversation, right? Yeah. Right? Who wouldn't want to say, uh, give me a magic wand so I could wave and just make it go away? I don't want to reconcile this. I don't want to have to clean this up. Just wouldn't you like to have one? Well, if you know how to make one and they work, I want to invest because <laughs> we're going to clean up because everybody in the world wants a magic wand, right? Because you can wave it three times. There you go. See, Will's got one. Yeah. I said, join the Renaissance of Men and you know, donate here and you'll get yourself a magic wand. <laughs> and, and you can just wave it three times and all your cares go away. And that's some of the magical thinking of youth and wishful thinking that it's really a metaphor for that. So if you ever want a magic wand, realize there ain't no magic wand. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing that I wanted to add because I, I want to talk about conversation and listening. But before before we jump into that, one of the things I want to point out is I was exactly, I was 35 when I went on my new warrior training adventure. And and for anyone who wants to see what I looked like when I went on that, you can actually go to my mentorship page, which is renofmen.com slash mentorship. And there's a photo of me. It's 2012. It was about nine months before. And if, for those of you listening, you may have seen this photo. It's where I look like a white potato version of myself. I don't have a beard and I look basically almost dead. That was, that was basically what I looked like when I went on my New World Training Adventure weekend about nine months later. And so now here I am 10 years on. And so if you want to know what's possible in a man's life, you know, from 35 to 45 with commitment to the work, this is what's possible. Like, I'm not going to say that it's easy. It's actually quite difficult. Um, and there have been a lot of very painful moments. However, you know, the things that the things that anybody listening, if you hear and admire in me, this has all been fought for and worked for over 10 years um, so that I don't have to look back from 45 knowing that like, oh, now I'm in crisis and my feet, you know, the, the walls are closing in. I better do something to sort it out. Like I heard the call at 35, like this is not good. And I've set, set myself to the work and have been very blessed to do that work. And so if you wonder listening, what's possible for you, whatever your own version of this is, is absolutely possible with commitment to the work. And, and I'm very grateful to have found it, um, to be able to, and, and to have, uh, been given the strength to engage in it. But I want to assure the men too, it doesn't mean you're broken. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're bottomed out. Listen, if you have real addiction problems or you're really, really suffering from severe mental uh, uh, 
you know, your inability to leave your house or, you know, f- real phobias or, or addictions or habits, that's a whole nother thing. Yes. You, know, you need the kind of real professional help. This, you know, this is for the guy who just says, I want to unpack my life and resort it and put some stuff out of my life if it's at all possible so that I can move on, you know, with more stealth and more strength and unburden and unburden myself, right? To feel lighter and stronger and have more energy to be present and to go forward. And if you're dragging all this other stuff, when's the time? When is the time you're going to, you're going to start cutting that stuff loose, you know, or at least examining what are you carrying along with you? Huh? Or the best people that you know around you have been telling you about you that maybe it's time to listen. Right? and do the work. Okay? So that's who this is for. You know? And now there are men that have gone through five marriages and, and yeah. now on, they're on, in our AA and this, this work helps as well. But this is not a fix. This, this is going to the gym, right? Yeah. You, don't, you don't get this kind of emotional muscles you know, on occasion. No. It's it, it you know it's it's a program that fits into your life, right? Because mm-hmm. it matters to you, you know. I just I think it's a great uh, equate it with fitness. If yeah. You give it, well, if you give it up, it fades. It doesn't mean you lose everything, but it it fades. And if you maintain it, you stay strong, mm-hmm. right? And it gives you I, I believe it gives the men kind of a, a virility that is quite admirable. Mm-hmm. It's the only place that comes from, you know. And there's an energy, yes, a vitality and a libido in these men that are, they're, they can be a little intimidating because they're so present, you yeah. know, and they look you in the eye, you know, holy, what's this about? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here? Well, slow down there with that yeah, eye contact. Yeah, you know? and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And if you're especially, let's end this section with this, especially if you felt like a man, like, well, that's not for me. Uh, I'm really not that kind of guy. It doesn't mean you need our version of it. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. My hope is for any man, like well, sometime we'll tell the story of how men are like trees. We all develop in our own ways. We all have our own expression. What makes the best version of you? That at the end of your days, you can say, again, I like me when I'm like that. That's what we hope. That's uh, That's what I hope for for you, whether you come to will or not or wherever your journey leads you man so at the end of the section i say bless you for being with us so far we're going to hopefully do a lot more a lot more talking we'll take a little we'll take a little break but uh this was an invitation to this kind of work to the renaissance of man and what will here is 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 providing us uh blessings and resources uh for men so um hope you enjoyed this segment with us we'll be back shortly Yes, we'll take a break and be right back. All right. Men, if you're enjoying what Glenn and I have to say, and you're wondering where you can find wisdom, knowledge, and presence like this in your life, I have great news. My Renaissance Men's Mentorship Program is open once again. Over the past year, I've worked with a number of high-performing and dedicated men, and I'm thrilled with their results. And they are too. My mentorship page has been massively revamped to feature them and highlight the best aspects of the program. And you can go to renofmen.com mentorship to see for yourself. I can tell you all about what's in the program and how it works, but you can go ahead and read that on your own. Instead, I'd like to tell you what you'll get from the program. 
which is set up to deliver one thing for you, that you end in a very different place than where you began. If that sounds a bit vague, there's a reason. I'm not specifically promising you six-pack abs or a six-figure savings account, though if you want those things, that's great, we can work on them too. What I'm promising instead is that there is a set of problems in your life that all begin in the same place. You. The way you think, how you feel, habits you've developed, and questions you've never asked. Those questions, habits, thoughts, and feelings have piled up to deliver you into the moment you're in right now. And if you're like most men, they're way too much to sort out on your own. It's overwhelming and a little scary, because if you go looking in that messy basement, you don't know what you'll find. It's a fear that plagues literally all men, not what we know about ourselves, but what we don't. Which is why I'm there, to walk into those spaces with you. The mentorship includes my position, trajectory, momentum framework, yes. It includes my men's life map, yes. I walk you through my concepts of the narrow passage, the three reconciliations, and the linkage between depression and anger, absolutely. And there's much more, all within a Christian scriptural framework. But above and beyond all the conceptual stuff, you get me to walk with you, to help show you how to slay the dragons you'll find, claim the treasure that's hiding in the places you're afraid to go, and bring it forward into your life, family, household, community, and world that desperately needs it. In other words, you won't do any of this alone. And the best part is, there are now three options for how we can do that, including an option for men with lower budgets, but no lack of commitment and heart. Because it's my job to get you up again, to lead you out of the web of problems you find yourself in, get facing in the right direction, and get you moving towards the man you want to be. Which is why it's not therapy or coaching, it's mentorship. You can find more information at renofmen.com mentorship, including those testimonials from men like you and details about the program. And if you're curious what my mentorship can do for you, register for a free discovery call and together we'll find that out. Again, go to renofmen.com mentorship for more. And when you register for that free discovery call, mention the code BARKER for a limited time discount of 15% and I'll throw in a membership to my men's accountability group, The Council, for free. My friend, you've been going it alone for too long. It's time for companionship. It's time for brotherhood. It's time for mentorship. All right, we're back from back from a little break. So, um, so I think what would probably help people listening now, they've heard uh, quite a bit about my background, um, which is good, but maybe it would help them to get to know you a little bit and how you found your way into this work and some of the, some of the details of, of kind of your life path that made you the man that you are today and, and have sort of defined, defined your life. Hmm. Thank you. Well, realize I've, I've lived a long time, so this can be quite extensive. I'll do my best. <laughs> Settle down, everybody. Enough. Yeah, you live long enough. It's like, you did all that? How did you pack all that into a life? Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. So it was, it was Vietnam. Vietnam was going on when I was eligible for the draft. And that was mm. a big point of contention. And my older brother took off to Canada. My young, Everybody in my, my home was fighting to about how awful this was. And uh, dad, uh, who sadly passed uh lately uh was very much uh, uh pro you know he's like you know go here's a world war ii guy he went to england and um he's like are you going to sign up and he's like not for this one you know looks like they're killing babies i'm not up for that 
So it's like, okay, okay, out. Uh, so all of us brothers were out of the house in very, very short order, very young. So I was really blundering through my life. Uh, not lost because I was always very ambitious. I was always willing to work, but I was trying to figure out how to navigate the world. And so I was doing whatever I can. That's when I started doing body and fender work and fixing cars. And uh, anyway, I had buddies that got into the music business. They were working at radio stations and record companies. And I longed for that because I was also a musician. At, so at the same time, uh, I started to educate myself. I really leaned into, a, in those days, there was very few self-help things. There was think and grow rich, right? And there was make friends and influence people. But those things I started to really gravitate towards. So I started pouring all this stuff in, into my head. And then all the tapes came out with the Tony Robbins stuff. So all the self-help um, stuff was a way for me to uh, say, how can I move out of this realm of limitations and to, to be something because I had a call. I, I felt I could do something more with my life. And um, at first it was, at first it was music. Uh, I was very drawn to it and I played, I wanted to be in a band and recording and owning a recording studio. Uh, and I think some of this work, this ascender work that I was doing, um, you know, or, or rich man's thinking to try to adopt a mindset that, that will uh, give me the um, inner, fortitude to take on challenges that were presently beyond me, but to imagine and see those things possible for me. And that ascender work was pretty good for that, to envision it. And that was the big thing in those days, visualize it. If you, if you, if you, if you, uh, you'll believe it when you see it, right? Uh, or if you see it, you'll believe it. It's, it's a great mindset for that, that, for me anyway, to get me on that path. And then finally though, um, that stuff starts to top out. That's why I call it ascender work. It's yeah. only getting better, being more disciplined, being you know working harder, uh, getting fixated on a, a, a grand desire and these kind of things, and become obsessed. And uh, that wasn't all that I had in my nature. Plus, uh, being an artist and musician in a way, I also had this other part that was very much lover based. I didn't know at the time. It just wanted to be present and feel and, and do things that were creative and fun. Uh, so I had that too. And it was a great, great thinking to be a rock star was also, you know, <laughs> can relate. Everybody, everybody in my time wanted to be, you know, the Beatles or whatever. Uh, so uh, that was a big draw. Uh, but then out pops, I don't know where Robert Bly, right? <laughs> this, this poet that stumbles upon an old, uh, grim fairy tales tune of Iron John, and he gets to go on. He goes on TV, and I catch him, and I see this man who has taken this story and extrapolated out of it and and added uh, added to it uh, what's called the descent of a Ben in order for them to to go down and do this ashes work. That's what it's called to go out and clean up all your messes and get real and then come back on this hero's journey, which is the first time I heard about, which means to go into the unknown, to go to obtain the thing, the quest to what, and bring it back into your world and incorporate it. And the only way to do that is something's kind of got to die, you know, so you can be reborn in this thing. And that was like, whoa, <laughs> what? You know, this whole other path of, of, of being able to deal with what it is that you're kind of entrenched in or brainwashed or grew up in, the, the, the thought and beliefs that you have and, and things you have to shake off and that only then can you actually prove to yourself, and yet this is done on your own, and to, that you can achieve something 
through a Herculean heroic effort uh, to get it. And whether you get it or not, doesn't matter. It's the fact that you were elected to take that risk. Uh, wow. I was fascinated and, and enthralled. And then right after that came out uh, the Robert Moore books uh, mm -hmm. and Douglas Gillette with the, the, Queen, uh, the King Magician Warrior and Lover books. And uh, wow, here's an explanation of how we're hardwired uh, with these four archetypes that allowed me to start to understand the positive side of whatever energy was in me and the negative side. Negative? No, I'll just call it the shadow side, which is the, shy, the side that is almost the antithesis of it. Maybe it wants to subjugate it or doesn't want to see that happen or has another alternative, right? That's either kind of a lousy intent or a sabotaging intent or a, a cowardly a portion of it that doesn't want to deal with it. And it was like, oh, wow. How, I mean, I just took to it. To me, it all made perfect sense. And so I started writing things. In the meantime, I, I had always had a, a good fortune of, of kind of being like a team leader. Uh, mm -hmm. I was doing landscaping before. I had, a, I had a road crew when I was in high school for a sound system that I had. I was renting the bands. And uh, I had this group of guys that seemed to, I could always put together guys and we have these teams and stuff. And the guys would come to my place. I had an apartment early. The other guys didn't. I had cool coach houses where I had. And and guys would come around and they say, God, we talk about things that you just no other guys talk about. Well, this I wound up writing protocols, how to run a men's group between the mythopoetic of this great storytelling and this these archetypes that explained how we're wired. And uh, I loved it. And I did that for years. I built a three men's groups that we had going and uh all of a sudden a guy came to my men's group and said uh i know a guy that's doing this kind of work professionally and dragged this guy in i went to his weekend it was called path to spirit hello david david lincoln <laughs> and i did his weekend and i wound up running his organ helping him running his organization being one of the being a coordinator for him and then he says to me which was great about a year later, he says, you know, Mankind Project that I heard about uh, is looking for a uh, executive director. And uh, I think you should apply. Mm. And sure enough, uh, I went and applied and they hired me. They hired me to run their organization. Um, now, in the meantime, I had a lot of entrepreneurial experience through all these years. Like I said, I, I was the guy that would shop the band. I was the guy that would help go go get clients for the recording studio. Uh, I, I found that I could, when I once I learned how, I could be the point person to go out and get the business, especially what it was. And um, not because I don't think I had a great talent. So the alternative was terrible. I can go back and what clean toilets, or I could try to make, <laughs> I could try to try to do something that where I had libido for it, I had a real juice for it. Um, Throughout that time, too, I got invited through these record company guys that I knew that uh, uh, that a big recording studio was being built. So I helped them build that studio and got a job being an engineer, uh, a second engineer for all these live concerts and these great bands. So I really got a taste of what it was like to be around real superstars and work in a, a highly professional environment. And I, and I said, wow, I, this is for me. Yeah. You know, I love this. Uh, it's like, I can do this. 
a lot of guys who probably relate to this is just it's not maybe what you ideally want, but it's like, hey, I can do this. So yeah. go pour yourself into it, you know. And then started a band, and it was a pretty good band. And we did a little recording and did a little, little touring, and then that ran its course. And so I'll start my own recording studio, and that ran for about five years. We wound up doing a lot of commercials and stuff, and that gets old. Believe me, it's, it sounds glamorous. Mm. It, it's it's a grind, you know. Um, and then I had uh, then I got married, had a baby on the way, and it was just those those. Long all night stints and everything is just it's brutal. It's it's tough. So um walked away. So in other words, I've had these adventures, these episodes, four or five year, six year, seven year episodes throughout my whole life. But in the meantime, what carried me all the time was to to do what I love, to do what really I really was uh, fascinated by. And I was really fascinated in two things. One was a creative side of me, and the other side the other piece was this self for lack of a better word, self-improvement uh, yeah. trajectory um, to, to try to keep myself from sabotaging myself and making the most of what I could anyway. It kind of all came together when I got hired at the Mankind Project where I really poured it, where they said, it's it's yours. Uh, get Take the reins and make this thing fly. And so I was able to pour a lot of my, I had a lot of artistic uh, uh, ability too. So I created great flyers and promotions. And I always wanted to see things work. I wanted it, if I was going to think it through, it was, I wanted to see it manifest and happen. And so I got to do, actually, I was afforded a lot of license and I got to do a lot of great things and build a lot of groups and do a lot of promotions and run an organization and have a center. At the same time, there's a building and or 35 men's groups to its seven weekends a year, great big weekends. Uh, 5,000 members and hard, maybe almost 200 volunteers. And it was, it was great. I mean, I did that for 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, until recently I, I retired. And so that's kind of been my journey, you know, and I retired just as then, then COVID hit. So it was like, that was all over. <laughs> right. And, and then I, I went a couple years after that, I met, I met Will. So that's a kind of condensed version Um but that's how I got here. And uh, I still have those two same loves. I still feel like I love for this work because I believe it's transformative. I think it has great, great value. Although my creative side, even in my own place, I'm remodeling and making and painting and then I still play music and, and uh, you know, write songs. And it's, I understand what makes me tick. Okay, and there's three things, right, that are called the hierarchy of needs. What do I need to really feel fully engaged? It kind of gets me, and I love it, right? One, uh, do I have something to contribute? Do I have something truly to contribute to whatever it is? Does my effort make me uh, make the thing go, right? Can I be the, the main cog that starts the thing up? So I love starting it. Um, that's one. Two, am I going to be appreciated for it? Do I get loving connection? is that going to come from this effort? Is anybody going to appreciate it, right? And that matters to me. Uh, if that's not there, it's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why am I doing it, right? And, and then um, is it, am I doing something that's bigger than me, right? That, that's actually contributing to something greater than I am. If those three things are there and in abundance, I'm like hooked. I'm, I'm in. So it doesn't, if it wasn't been men's works, it would have been something else. 
you know, because I'm going to gravitate to what gives me that. And that allows me to flourish. I know that's what gets my libido going. So men, understand yourself. Realize what it is that drives you and gets you going and allows you, I don't want to say being possessed, but to get hooked into something where it's like, yeah, look what I get to do. That was really the driver. Are you kidding? If I get to work in a big recording studio, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I got hired to be the media buyer for a great big concert company. I did three, three days in a, in a stadium here in Chicago. Are you kidding? I never did it before. I get to do that? Yeah, I'll do that. You know, if you got that kind of thing, look what you get to do. That's what mankind was for me. Look what I get to do. How many men in the world get to run a men's organization like this with free reign, you know, and, and, and to help make it successful and contribute it to so many men's lives, you know, get all the, get all kinds of love and, and get rewarded for it and get free reign and to contribute to so many lives and to be something bigger than yourself. <laughs> How lucky. Yeah. yeah. Am I is it lucky? There's also working your butt off. There's also kind of a hero's desperation to it because what else am I going to do? There's no plan B. So guess what? It better work. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's always been my thing. And uh, uh, that brought me from, you know, from 70 years old now to 70. <laughs> That's really, how's that? When I did it in nine minutes? That's a yeah, man's life. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i hope that helps you know a little bit about this man yeah i think it's um i love the way that you you talk about the mankind project especially um we we were introduced through warren farrell when i went down to interview warren farrell for the documentary he gave me a, a bunch of people's contact information and phone numbers and recommended people to follow up with and you were one of them and so I remember you and I started talking, it would have been within a week after that, um, and having, having all that, having all that in common. And that was a pretty, those were like the mankind projects. Heydays was the 10, the 10 years you were there, like 2009, you know, 2000, 2019, you were in Chicago and I was in the Northern California center. I don't know if I told you, but I actually did a, I, I staffed a men's retreat. I staffed a, a new world trending venture in New Zealand in 2019 as well. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, so that was always a dream to staff a retreat overseas somewhere. But the, yeah, I mean, I remember when you and I were talking, getting ready to have this conversation, you talked about you would listen to thousands of men and the joy of doing that kind of work, right, is, is what, I mean, please take that because I want to hear more about that. What a privilege. I mean, uh, look what I got to do. So part of the job, as it was described, is, listen, um, you know, men are going to call or refer men to you. And and the job was to see if you can get them into the to, to join the organization or be on the weekend. And uh, what I elected to do really is to see if I could be of any assistance. <laughs> is there anything I can do as as a fellow human being? Because I didn't I didn't want to have a commission. Yeah, I just wanted to be on salary and just be present for the men. And I I, I decided that. I would be of greater benefit if I learned how to listen. And you can tell I can talk. <laughs> I, might, I might or might not relate to that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but the real, the real gift to, to another man is to hear him. Yes. Right? Not just listen, but to hear him. And you only do that by dropping who you are and being present for the man.
So if a man would come to me or call for an inquiry, that's number one. That's a very rare instance that a man yeah. will reach out. So right there, I know something's going on, right? There is the occasional, oh, I'm just really, I'm just kind of curious. But really, the guys just call because they're curious. <laughs> Maybe one out of a hundred. Yeah. Say that. But really what it is, is the man's seeing he wants to touch the water to see if it's maybe for him. So I guess throughout all my years, I developed this, some skill. Uh, plus, I did a lot of years of telemarketing work, too, which was not, not pitching, but learning how to communicate and listen in such a way. So it mattered. So it was uh, basically, am I going to be of any value? Can, is there anything I can do? to be in the realm of what I could offer uh, that might be of assistance to you in your life now or in the future. Just take that stance and try to help the man make the inquiries he needs to make and have the conversations that he needs to have in order to be fair to him and embolden him somewhat to speak what's on his mind and help facilitate what is best for him whether it's now or down the road and to always leave the door open so no matter what was whatever i heard i say that so i'm this is what i'm hearing i'm hearing that you just went through a divorce and you shoved, shoved away all your friends and now you're in a whole new state and your job fell off from underneath you you know and that hurts yeah Right? Yeah. Because <sighs> it does. You're not playing at this thing. This guy is freaking hurting. <sighs> now, are you okay? I mean, are you, I'm going to ask, are you drinking or how, how you, what's going on? Well, I'm, I'm trying not to and this and that. I go, Have you ever been in a men's community before? No. So maybe that's, Part of the reason we call you, there might be something here good worth exploring. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what. If you're not far away, there's an open circle. It costs nothing. You come in and visit one night. And you just, if you want, just watch. You don't even have to participate. If you think there's something here that might be of use to you, why don't you come? What are you doing tomorrow at six o'clock? Could you come? Right? Do you know where we're at? Just stop it. You can come anonymously. I don't care. Just observe. If you think it's something for you, come see me. I'll be up. I'll be the guy who's up in front, and we'll talk afterwards. Good. All right. Good. Hey, that was real courageous of you to call in. Most guys don't do that. Good on you. I'll see you tomorrow. Look, come on. This yeah. is what a great. That's the gig. You know what a great what a great thing to be able to do you know and facilitate their money if they need it help and this and that and to get them get men into groups this is you know it's, it's just steering a bunch of ships you know what i mean and somebody wants to do this kind of lesson and put on that kind of affair and help cobble the pieces together well one thing i did all my all my years i think what served me was the ability to kind of what they say uh uh corral uh herding cats mm-hmm because I worked with a lot of creatives and I myself as one too. So 
Yeah, these guys hate deadlines and stuff, but you got to do it because if not, if you've ever been in a band, anybody, you're, you're, you'll mess around practicing until you get a gig, get a date, and all of a sudden you got to get your act together. <laughs> yes. Put it on a calendar or cut a yeah. check, and all of a sudden that becomes real. Yeah. It's true. It's yeah. true. So it was the same thing here. So um, I was very comfortable in that environment and very comfortable being the, the director. I wound up being executive director and the president of the corporation and the center director for the, uh, for the center itself. And that went on for 10 years. And they could have dragged me out of their feet first. <laughs> yeah, you can tell, uh, you know, that it's just uh, how wonderful, especially with my past, right. To go from nomadic and, and, and having all this juice for it and wanting to really, I wanted to have my own organization. I was writing protocols and then I bumped into these organizations that, we're already doing something. So, hey, I had the ambition to, and, and the entrepreneurial experience and enough, I'll say at least outreach and sales and creativity to pour myself into that. It was kind of like, it all came to, you know, it all came together towards at, at, at this work. And I didn't have to do all these other things to satisfy my curiosity and my creativity and, and, and my love of the work. I became a proponent of the work. And you can probably see that. I'm still pitching the work. Mm -hmm. Come, 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 come see what this is about. And is that for you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's no cult here, you know. Uh, cult would be easier. <laughs> right. No, no, yeah. it's, it's, it's all elective, you know. So anyway, that's, that's the history of me. And uh, I think you can tell to this day, I got juice for the work. Mm -hmm. I got no organization or nothing to pitch except for this young man who here who I'm trying to help in any way I can on occasion if he lets me. And, uh, <laughs> I've and, gotten better at that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I wish that for you, man, too, that you find something that flips your switch in such a way. And there's a cost. Believe me, I was on mission for 10 years and it cost me. And uh, that uh, I, yeah, I let my weight go and other things go because I was just so enamored and enthralled and in love with what I was doing. It consumed me in a wonderful way. You know? Uh, yeah. I hope that for you, I hope you all could say, look what I get to do. Yeah. That's freaking cool. It really is. Mm -hmm. I said it to Will once in a while. Will, whenever you get down to say, yeah, but look what I get to do. <laughs> But it's tough. I mean, it doesn't make doesn't mean it's easy. It just means how rare, you know, how rare and special. Just no one lasted ten years in that seat. I mean, it's a long time. I held a record, right, for executive directors in, in any in any nonprofit. Uh, they got two years max, you know, and mm. they burn out usually. There's a high turnover. Me, I just love being the director. I. I it was, I still, I still love talking to men about, about that. Cause I believe in my truth, in my heart of hearts, that it's just what we do has a great benefit. Mm -hmm. And I hope my, my love for, for how it can transform your life as it has mine. What I mean by that is I'm not a frightened young man anymore. I actually accept who I am to the greatest ability I think I can. And now it's, at this point, I'm not so much about mending my wounds as it is about 
giving back. What can I give? How can I make myself available so that everything I've learned could be of some use to somebody? You know? That's, I like who I am. I like how I show up. I like who I've become. Um, I'm closer to my true nature of who I am. You know? And I wish that for you, too. Hmm. I wish that for every man. Right? To really get to your truest nature and but but with the stability and the anchoring of of a transformation into an adult version. So there's there's the boy that's in you, but then over that is built a structure of a adult. Mm. So you you're not squishing your extinguishing your boy. You you put a protective another frame around him, you know, that's governed by an adult that allows for the spontaneity and the curiosity and the and the, and the love, you know, and the, and the playfulness and joyfulness and, and all those things that are attributed to the, the wonders of a boy, but then regulated somehow by the sensibilities of a man. It's not perfection. Mm -mm. But for this man, it, it allowed me some, a, a way to navigate through a good portion of my life, hopeful and, 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 uh, uh, Always seeking to 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 contribute more, uh, to feel engaged in that what you do has worth, and that you have worth, and you have something to give. Of uh, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. So many different themes from what you just said that I want to that I want to dig into. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind first is you know, the scale of what you created at MKP Chicago. I, you know, it was the, the largest center in America. The Mankind Project was initiated 80,000 men around the world, which is, that's a big deal considering there's no, there's no organization that I can think of that has reached so many men. Now, not every man, you know, has, has benefited from it the way that I did or the way that you did. Many men come and they enjoy the weekend and then it kind of fades away in their memory of this cool thing they did. And some men really connect to the work. But you imagine that 80,000 men in America, and then uh, I went to New Zealand, and I guess they were working on, there might have been some, and I know there were some in Australia and Europe as well, and they were working on Mexico when the organization yeah. finally, finally, finally fell down. But, you know, the, the joy of doing this work, I, I think everyone can hear your enthusiasm for it. And it's not for every man to lead it. Not every man can. Right, not every man is is wired in that way. But when you really find something like that, that uh, you know, you may not be, you might be not not be a young man anymore, like you said, but you still got a fighting spirit more than many young men that I know. And when you find that thing that animates that animates you, or any of us, right, to really have the opportunity to do that professionally or for a living, what a blessing! Yeah, it's a, they, you know, like I'm not. It's like I'm not drinking the Kool Aid. You know what I mean right. for 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 the for the organization, because uh, to me, by that time, even by the time I joined, I realized they had a, a very, I think, a, a narrow view of what they could offer. Uh, but it went very deep. They, mm -hmm. What they had is a great weekend, and what they had is some great protocols. So they done work, and I say in a, a narrow field, but a very deep field. Uh, but it has a bottom, and there's only you can only get so much, I believe, out of that out of that work if if you're a growth oriented person. Yeah. But there's some men that go there and find a home and stay there just because it's great to have a men's group, say, uh, ongoing throughout your life. You know, that's great. If you stop drinking and quit kicking the dog and love your and love the people in your life, you know, you've done pretty good. 
Mm-hmm. Not not everything has to wind up, you know, running the world's largest men's organization. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to go there, you know. But um, for for this man, it it afforded me the opportunity came. I really wanted it. They saw I wanted it. I was ready for it. Uh, I was the right guy for the job, and I wanted the job, and so um, it was a good fit. And they gave they gave me the license to do uh, great things. So did you have a personal initiation experience or I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that when you came on board as, as the executive director, you'd already been on the weekend yeah. yourself. Yeah. And so what was that like for you? Cause I've only, I've only known you as, you know, Glenn Barker, gorilla. I've only known you like at the end of the, at the end of the, that journey through that world. I, I mean, I can't, I have trouble imagining who you were at the start of it. Right. I can't even. So, so what was that like? Cause we talked a little bit about what my weekend did for me. And the, and the massive course correction that it was for me, like this first big branch. So for you, that would have been what, 2008, 2009 or something yeah. like that? Or yeah. So what yeah. was it like for you? Well, um, by that time, I had done so much work with uh, following Bly and so much work uh, at, with, the, with the archetype work with uh, Warren Gillette and Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey that actually I was – looking forward to what experiencing what I only knew in story form. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it, it was not as, as a breakthrough. I was mostly just enjoying being on a sled ride, being on a, you know, uh, on, on, a, on a whaling boat pulled, pulled by the, by Moby Dick after just reading about it for, for, for 10 years, you know, yeah. 15 years. And so uh, for me, although uh, I did some good work on that weekend, just some good father work on that weekend because uh, I was still holding on to some of that. Uh, so boy, I found that the immersive experience that you get, you can do a lot of work in your head. And all, even though I knew much of it, what had to transpire, nothing like being immersed into it and having an experiential uh, 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 environment where so many men are there for that intention is powerful. Yes. And there is no substitute for a well-run, powerful intervention into men's lives Mm -hmm. where we're participating in the very cathartic and sometimes frightful and beautiful and truthful and powerful and safe. Not Not in a cushy, pillow safe way. In, in a container that can hold you and hold that energy no matter what you bring. Uh, I'm glad I went through what I did because there was still a lot of, you know, Chicago was known for being that the edgy <laughs> place. And well, we had a lot of powerful leaders. We had the biggest leader body and co-leader body in the world. Um, and these guys were heavy hitters. These were big guns, these guys. Uh, there wasn't well, much they couldn't handle. Well, let's talk about that because I think earlier you had mentioned, we both mentioned the idea of an embodied man. And most people have never met an embodied man. I would venture to say as many as 90 people have never met a, a truly embodied man, period. But but I know what you mean when you say leader body. Like I remember what it was like to be around those men when they were fully in their leader, let's say energy on the weekend. And just how like, what is that? 
that that looks like a that looks like a human male standing in front of me, but I've never seen one like that before. Even though he looks like every he looks like a normal guy, but there's just something about him. It's like I've never seen that before, but I've been looking for it for a long time. So I want, so, a, piece, I want a piece of that. I want it, whatever he's got going on. I want a piece of that. Right. I don't need to be him, but like there's something in 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 whatever he's whatever he's embodied silently, wordlessly. Right. What's happening there? And so it just oriented me like, like iron magnetic filings towards something. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And uh, is there a question in that or just? just yeah. Well, like, what, like un unpack that because I know what it is. I have an image in my mind. So someone listening, like who, who doesn't know what a heavy hitter, you know, leader body means in, in as concrete terms as we can get it. Like what, what would it mean? Like for someone who's trying to imagine it. So let's, for instance, have you ever watched uh, like the Magnificent Seven, the old Western, like Yul Brenner that comes on the scene and all of a sudden it's like, these are the hired guns, right? That, that, are, that are killers and saviors all in one. So I like, try to equate it to something that, that you might see image-wise. And it might, might be like that, like Yul Brenner and Magnificent Seven is like when the guy walks into the room, there's a presence mm -hmm. and that. This guy, you don't, he's not there to kill you, but don't mess with him because he certainly will. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there was a, and, and so I was like, I say, as these men were in role and it's a very, it took, I, I credit the, the, these, this organization for that. In order, I mean, it took more than 10 years to get up the ranks. Yeah. And some of these men have done literally two or 300 men's weekends. So they're kind of like cut from the cloth of, of being in this, role of being the the, the axis monday you know the, yeah. the, the the center holder and all the men also uh agreed to let this man carry that mantle and every also there's all these support roles too yeah. so there's also an energy around when this man puts like the staff and says silent you know he puts that thing down and everyone goes mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like okay this is not playtime yeah. So there's a gravitas. So what it is, you know, there's a gravitas and an, and an energy that's embodied by a man who truly knows how to take responsibility for a large container of men and hold that space. And that is a, a rarefied skill set. It truly is. And you know it when you see it. And I don't know how to explain it better to say that these are the most capable and powerful men in that arena. It doesn't make them great leaders in the world. Right. Mm. That, <laughs> right. Right. So there's, but does it make them great organizational leaders? It doesn't make them great, you know, I group facilitators, but uh, boy, enroll on that weekend. They can hold the energy of what it takes to move that thing through these processes, right? And, and, and into a, in the correct way, because all the protocols too, they, they say what the energy should be during this exercise, right? Are you being sweet and nice? Or are you being a blank slate? Or are you being... A warrior? Are you being all magical? You know, so it, and to be able to understand what has to be brought forth at a certain point, um, when that finally gets embodied into the man, he realizes the power of the role, and when he can execute it in that way with a supportive staff, it is palpable, and it makes you say, "Wow!" Yeah. Uh, and it is a rarefied thing. There was very few men that actually held those. And it's on different ways. Some men could do it with a lot of silence. Other men could do it with a very strong physical presence. Other men did it by virtue of their restraint. Mm -hmm. I saw it in many, many forms. Uh, but they're beautiful men to be around and revered and feared. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of projection on them for being 
the elites are being, you know, a lot of father projection went on in them, which, you know, yeah, a lot of stuff got thrown at these guys and they just, they took it <laughs> and, or, and or rejected it, you know? So they were a little bit separate from the rest of the organization, I think, but as they should be. I think that was that was the that was the thing when I realized that actually from from the moment when a man walks in to be initiated, completely cold, has never been there before, it takes ten years to go through all the trainings and all the processes and all the vetting and all the and you have other men who are trying to bring out your your shadow, your dark side, so that it doesn't oh, yeah. come out when you're in charge of a hundred guys up there, right. right? And then you have to staff, like, and and you know these weekends don't run. I mean, they don't run year round because generally they don't go during the winter. So it's like if you're going to staff a hundred, two hundred, that means you're doing ten or twenty a year. So that's ten or twenty weekends a year that you're away Even from your family. Even if you don't that means that some of these guys been doing this for twenty years. Exactly. Uh, yeah. This you earn, very, these men earn those positions. It's a very specialized skill set. And, yeah. uh, and, and yes, you know it when you see it in the man because it's real. Yeah. There are yeah. Some, things, some things you can't fake. Mm -hmm. and, and, but that's the thing is, is for men who have never seen that, even, even initiated yeah. men who show up and they get to be around a man who's truly, in, in, who's truly embodying leadership and in, in, in the purest sense of the word king, like what it used to be to be around a king, right? An anointed king, that feeling, they used to have to carry that on behalf of the entire kingdom. And that was just the way that people related to them. And we don't have any great examples of that, of that, of that truly, we'll say of a complete form of masculinity today. In fact, I think they've been all but eliminated from our dialogue. So we can't see them. So we forget what it's like. And so to be around a man who's carrying that, yes, in a very specific role, he's not king over the entire kingdom, but for that weekend in this space, for these 80 or a hundred men, he's yep. the guy and he has to wear that for 48 hours. It's like, I recognize that. What is that? Where did you get that? I want that. It's incredibly powerful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And it comes at very high cost. Yeah, so it, it comes at a very high cost for these men, and they they, they shell hundreds of thousands of dollars out of their own pocket and go through endless reviews and scrutiny, and they say owning their shadow. So this, what all of us, but we may say some version of this. Like for instance, if you see Andrew Tate, he provides like maybe a scary version of a warrior that mm -hmm. is that his presence you can see him you know or a cage fighter right that are so aggressive so can you imagine imagine that kind of power uh but then restrained by mm -hmm. a man who's uh, you know what i mean has has the intelligence and the reach and is being watched by other magicians we we'll call them others that know how to facilitate to allow that to stay in the cage where it yeah. needs to be so it can have transformative powers. So, um, yeah, this is not a game. Uh, this is not for amateurs. And no. there's a, no, there's a very, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot at risk. It's very risky work that needs to be powerful and needs to be contained. And that's a bit of the role of the elders to watch over the magicians to make sure they don't get, is it really king energy? Uh, it's leadership energy. It's more, uh, I'm going to say that it has, it has a king component because they're the big gun. But I think it's a little more of a master magician mm -hmm. role. Yeah. Tru truly. It's, it's really not a king role. It, it, it appears that way. And a lot of magicians right. can appear king-like. But it's really a uh, the master magician role.
mm-hmm. is at the top of his game. And right. He's watched, right. And, uh, but he's not king. Yeah, I guess the way that it landed in me in the moment, not really knowing what I'm looking looking at from like not really having that language, but knowing that he's carrying he's carrying something in this regal way in this very powerful way. That's like that for for me. Yeah, I, I recognize it now as a man who's facilitating deep inner work. And when you say that work is very risky, you know, over the course of the weekend, men are opening up their their lives, their hearts. There's, you know, there's um, psychic wounds, yeah, and there are spiritual the deep, wounds, and there are emotional wounds. They're carried secretly. Yes. Yeah. One of the stories that I tell is I, I helped facilitate a process as a staff member where a man, a man who was 72 years old, confronted a childhood memory from when he was like eight that he had been carrying around that was clearly causing him a lot of pain. Like to witness a man, I think at that point, I think at that point I, w- I would have been in my in my yeah, like I'm 36, so not too long after. So like he was double my age to see him carrying something and to and to and and to play a vital role in that, to have to carry some part of that and to watch him unburden himself with this thing that had clearly guided his life for 60 years. It's like I had to sit down. There was he had to he had to as part of the he had to push me out a door and slam the door in my face. That was part of the deal. So I, he, so I got to see him as he pushes me out the door and I get to see into his eyes as he's pushing me out the door and then slams the door. So what I was looking at was 60 years of pain in this man's life and heart flashing in that instant and then the door slams. And I had to sit down against the wall outside and just like be, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. But most, most men will carry around things like that or similar to that or worse their whole lifetime without ever being having a friend, a brother, a mentor, an elder, right? A grandfather, a king, a magician, whatever to unload any of that. And so they just carry it. And it's, it's, it's cruel. It's like, cruelty. Oh, that's in the past. That's just like going to stuff that down. Who, who cares? Yeah. That's old news. Maybe yeah, suck it up, bro. No, yeah, no one cares. Work harder. <laughs> uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Right. And so like, that's the thing you had saying, you were saying earlier, uh, you know, men who had harnessed their emotional energy, what, what they can do with that, how powerful that is, especially for men as they, as they become elders, right? The, what they have to pass on of themselves and, and by not giving men the opportunity to unburden themselves of these incredibly painful and heavy things they carry men just sink under the weight of them. Before you move on, uh- if you're watching this, if you hear about this, I'm directing you to come to this podcast and, and look to get some semblance, right, mm-hmm. of mentoring and guidance that you that may not be available by other other means to you. It's, it may not be a, quite a reasonable substitute, but it's something. And yeah. uh, the man's got some resources and gifts to share with you. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you're seeing some of that here today. Mm-hmm. So um, the effects of a man, we spoke a little bit earlier of a of, or men in our society that does not do the work, right? It does not do the men's work. A lot of it can be stuffed down. You go, oh, that was the past and this and that. And perhaps you can compartmentalize it. Um, but you know the truth. The truth is unresolved. Unresolved trauma or unresolved um, uh, burdens or, or, or uh, uh, guilt or shame uh, or that whole thing, like 90% of the men really get out on these weekends and say, the bottom line is, I'm not good enough. Yeah. You know how big that is? That's the problem. I'm not good enough. 
And that's what I believe in my heart of hearts. Oh, gosh. It's so universal. It's so big. And here's the sad part. Yeah, guess what? We're not. Actually, no. We're a bunch of slobs trying to do the best we know how. Let's try to do that without ripping ourselves to shreds if we can and get right with ourselves and get right with those in our, in our lives and do their damnedest, right? To make a concerted effort to do what's to do what's right and to clean up our messes and to move forward aware of, of the impact that we're having to ourselves and others and build some courage muscles to move, right? To either move forward or to deliberately move away from those things that need to be built and to tear down those things that need to be torn down. That takes courage. Yeah. And that takes muscles. So that's what I hope for all you men. And if you can do that, you're on your way. And it's not a panacea because guess what? No, I'll say it again. No, we're not good enough. But guess what? That has to be good enough. <laughs> I mean, we're, all, we're stuck. Okay, we're stuck with our limitations, or we're you know we could take care of some. But none of us are the Superman. Okay, right. we got more kryptonite than we got superpowers. Believe, <laughs> right? No, we do, we do. So uh, we got it. But then that can either give you a reason to check out and not do anything, or the reason to say, yeah, but I'm going to build something, something that has value in my in my core, in my life, you know, with, with in my friendships. Right in my psyche, in my spiritual life, that has some value. So, my substance comes from my own center, right? Where I am, I know who I am. And I hope you can say that for you. And you're okay with that to get to that place. Guess what? That's what's good enough. Can you start to accept that? Yes, not a perfect body, not a perfect being, not a perfect nothing but you're good enough to make some beauty in the world and make some things wonderful and to try to make a life for yourself, right? That matters to you. As you say, I, you know, I did that. That was pretty darn cool. Yeah. You know, I raised those kids. I stuck with my family. That was a sacrifice. You know what? I'd gladly do it again. Guys, that's pretty darn good. Can mm -hmm. we learn to really get some value in, in those things where it is to be collected to you know to get your fabric strong you know to pull those those ends in and get fortify yourself in these ways it's something because everything else is might be out of your control this you can do this you can mm -hmm. i invite you begin so many men never hear these things. And I, I want to highlight something you said. There's a lot in the self-help world, so to speak, that will say, no, you are good enough. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Right? There is, there, that is a, 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 persistent, a persistent theme. Right? But to be Utility able... to in that. There is. It's really bullshitting yourself. Correct. Right. I mean, but there's a way in which I think that was one of the most powerful things I almost probably the most powerful thing of the weekend. Oh, it's hard for me to say, but to walk away and to recognize, to watch men just pouring their, their, in many ways, their lives and their pains out to each other. When I was initiated and I looked around and I was like, here's an entire room full of guys that are like, when they come in, 
I've told the story many times. Guys show up on Friday afternoon and you've got the guy with a flashy, uh, whatever, Mercedes Benz and the gold watch, you know, carrying himself like his big deal doctor. And you've got like the 22 year old dude, you know, who's whatever growing up on the farm and you got the average, average guys like me or whatever. And it's like, they all seem like all these different kinds of men and they all come in and they all come in in this way. And it's like, Oh, what am I doing here? What's going on? And within 24 hours, everyone's, like stripped away of all these identities and you see like, wait a minute, I'm walking around carrying all this pain, carrying all this insecurity, carrying all this shame, regret, whatever. And it's like, I'm not alone. And we're all working through this together and wait, like here, come here, talk to a staff member. Like, who are all these guys? I I asked the staff member, like, are are all these guys professional therapists? Like, I thought they were all professional psychotherapists. Like, no, we're just average guys. I'm like, wait, what? It's like, no, we just kind of learned how to do this stuff. Like your everyday average guys, how does something like this exist to see the ways that men had the ability, you know, to, to really bless and benefit each other and guide each other forward to maturity. That was, that was such a total mind shift for me. And that was the first clue that well, something. To be, to be clear, there was about 15 roles and you are, according to your abilities, you are assigned a role. Yeah. And so there are only very certain, very important emotionally, uh, or a lot of emotional control has to be understood. Facilitation has to be known. So they may be present there, but you see, they won't take an active role. So there is a, right. uh, very carefully uh, uh, 40 or 50 man staff that gets selected to do certain roles. Uh, they don't, Correct. they do participate in some things and not others. Yeah. So it's very, very highly coordinated yeah. and there's a lot of redundancy. And, you know, if you're, if you're on staff, cause then I went back and I staffed, you know, three more times after that. And, you know, it's like if, if some, if a man who's being initiated is going through a process that had, that, that makes you feel something for your past, it's like, oh my gosh, I see too much of myself and it's too much for you to emotionally handle. Be like, brings up something like there's, there's guys who come in and cover for you yeah. and it's so expertly held. And that's the thing that I couldn't figure out. I was like, how do all these guys appear to be be so skilled at this and and they're everyday average guys and that was my first clue that like there was no way i could believe something like that existed like how does this exist and no one knows about it how is this allowed was kind of my thought and then that was the first clue that that was the first clue that i ever had that like there's something larger going on there and that that i would label later call the renaissance of men but to see so many to see so many men going through this like no we actually have the capacity to bless and benefit each other and to listen to each other and be present with each other. And I would say really heal each other in some very powerful ways. Um, that was, that was a total, that was a total shift for me. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite a thing to see. I also add to that. I think whenever, if, if ever men, uh, you come to sit in a circle with other men who, who under good facilitation, you'll find out by the end that, uh, that man's work is your work too. Yes. Some man has the courage to say, you know, I got, I'd like to do some work tonight. You bring something up. And uh, if you're self-reflective at all, you'll realize at the end of the day, you know, I got a piece of that too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for the courage to do that work. You know, it helped me because I realized, I didn't even realize I was carrying a piece of that, but now the way you brought it up and they like, oh, that opened up a door here for me. So thank you. You'll hear mm-hmm. that a lot. Thank you for the courage of bringing that piece forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, well done, brother. Exactly. And it's the, it's that, it's that bit at the end so that the men feels acknowledged Like you're not alone in what you're going through. Right. I, I don't know that I'd heard any situations that a man had now, obviously I haven't listened to thousands of men, but I, you know, there's pieces that every man can hold on to. Like our stories overlap and I mean, the human experience is known, 
right? That's, <laughs> there's not going to be too many very unusual experiences. It's, there's nothing new under the right. sun. Right. 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 Just, right. Uh, we're all kind of like, I, I think we're all very much wired the same. It's just our, our, our stories are individual. They're not, they're not unique. Right. They're unique, they're unique to us in, in that they originate in us and they only impact us. No. But if after you get to a thousand or two men, you realize uh, it's going to be some version of a number of things that are part of the human experience that has impacted uh, this individual and that it matters greatly to them. Mm -hmm. And so you need to lovingly and with strength and courage unpack that. So let's address this. To, to uh, I think I've heard an occasion from you that I think that some kind of emotional intelligence work was uh, uh, a sign of getting soft or, 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 or whatever. Sure. I hope I hope we've dispelled some of that because I think what it takes is the kind of courage and um, manliness in the in the put it this way. But really, a man's not doing his work. I have for myself, sadly, I'll admit, I have. It's, it's very discernible if a man's doing his work right away or not. And so it curtails the kind of conversations I can have with a man. Because when a man is doing his work, it's almost like there's a wider scope and the guy's like a front loader for that big piece of machinery that he can, he can, he can scoop up more and handle right. more. And there's more to it and he's got more fortifications and it's really self-evident. So I was like, for those that might say, you know, uh, inner work is what makes you squishy. Well, there's a squishy party, and if you're going to deny it, it's it's going to be problematic <laughs> for you. Right. Uh, but to own your squishiness, because you know what? There's something, guys. Tenderness, kindness, right? Uh, being generous, being thoughtful. You can be a generous, loving, kind, thoughtful man without being a doormat. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. You can be a powerful, assertive, right? Uh, uh, a very, very, very strong leader without being a tyrant. Can't you? So that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do, right? How to become very powerful and strong without becoming a tyrant. Yeah. How do you open up and, 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 and be available emotionally and accessible, right? to be kind and compassionate and have empathy and care to, to be a caretaker to those that you love and you'll nurture and hold and take, take on without being a doormat. That's the job. Welcome to the work. Yeah. Right? So we're not denying these things. We're trying to incorporate them in ways that have a both and. Yes, you're powerful, but you have enough lover in you that you're not a killer. Yes, you're a lover over here, but you don't have enough warrior to keep yourself from being, being, becoming a bowl of mush. <laughs> it's important to get that right, so that your um, emotional. I, well, I think it is so that your emotional body that you bring with you into, into any relationship, I think, is quite self becomes self evident. And there's something about men who aren't worried about getting hurt because they're emotionally available, but they have enough boundary to say, okay, that stops now. Yeah. Right? Or they have enough assertiveness to say, I, I, sorry, I respectfully disagree, and I'm moving past you in this direction. 
this thing that takes some work to be able to be able to navigate those two things. Yes, I love you. Yes, I care very much for you. And this must end now. Right? It's a lover with a warrior behind it. And this is the warrior that says, I'm going to move past you on this. It isn't because you don't matter. It's because this is what I must do. I'm sorry. I'm going. Mm -hmm. Not because you tend to cut them right to shreds and go through them. You say, this, this will not this will not be the end of this conversation. I'm moving past now. I'm sorry. I'm going. And you, right? You're going to go past that thing, or if you have to, through it. But understand what you're doing, and you can do it not as a killer. Do it as a compassionate, powerful man that needs to needs to do what he's got to do, right? Because it's the right thing to do. And you take responsibility if you are wrong. All right, you take the hit. Own your stuff. And if you're right, there might be some bodies in the wake. Not, not literally. Right. But there might be friends that won't talk to you no more. So that's the risk you're going to take for really embodying, embodying a new kind of spirit that moves past the boy mentality to bring it full circle to the men's psychology. Mm -hmm. Not many people have seen that. They look at, and this is this gets to my larger observations about the, the, the quote-unquote men's movement and that you had, or you had, well, you still have. You have a lot of groups. Mankind Project was one of them. Sacred Sons is another one, right? There are lots of groups like this that do a lot of soft, inner, emotional work with men, which is very, very needed. But then you, you have guys like the, the Andrew Tates or like the Manosphere guys or the Red Pill guys that don't do any of that inner work at all. And they do all various forms of ascender work. No one cares, work harder, stuff like that, right? And then you, and then you have the other side. And that both of these, my position has always been, both of these kinds of men have a lot to teach each other, but they don't talk to each other, right? The lovers need to learn from the warriors and the warriors need to have, be able to have the heart of a lover. Otherwise, the life, the life of a warrior without a family and the ability to care for a wife and children who aren't going to be interested in, in the your, magicians have to learn how to navigate those. Uh, right. Navigate and, them. but where are those guys? You know, those guys have, those guys have punched out for the most part. Right. <laughs> or, or they're trying, or, you know, they're trying to navigate, navigate an economic landscape where they have to position or, themselves. Or they're in so, shadow. And so they're really manipulators. So they're in ooh. a magician role, but they've moved into a manipulator. And so they're doing it for the, the, the mercenary part of the warrior. A warrior without a purpose becomes a, a mercenary. He's just serving himself, right? Hold on. There's a third part, part of the, the warrior that could also be a, you know, the coward where it just isn't present. You can't muster. Right, kind of, kind of the kind of uh, strength you need in order to to have a defending of the boundaries or to assert yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's dead warriors too. Yeah, and what's needed are magicians to facilitate this, you know, this uh, reconciliation synthesis within men of the lover and the warrior. And you bring those three things together, and you have a man who's capable of being a king. So where are the magicians? Where are they at? I don't know where they are. <laughs> I don't know where they are. But well, they're all over the place. I think there's there's in shadow. Oh, I mean, then they're not really out there, right? Well, because they are. No, 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 no. Understand this. I don't mean as if they're hidden. I mean, they're out there as manipulators. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Okay. So you see them as either manipulators or playing the innocent one. Who? Me? Yeah. Ever see, ever see, ever see one of these big shot, tough guys? I won't name names. That all of a sudden they get called to account and just go, the, the halo comes out. Who? Right. Me? Who? Me? <laughs> How could you attribute that to my actions? That's a part of the magician. 
that says, oh, you got me all wrong. Yeah. No, you don't understand me. No, no, no. They're just trying to get to me. And, you know, they hate men that are like me because I'm powerful. You've heard that before. What that, that was is, me. That was that. That's that's the magician in shadow playing the innocent one. And what we need to understand as men is to call that out. It's basically it's bullshit. Yeah. And that, that was literally but, me. But there's a lot of lot of lot of magician work out there, believe me. Uh, most yeah. of these gurus are magicians. A very yes, for sure. They, they've this they, whether they know it or not. And j- yeah. just to finish the thought, like that was the reason we started the conversation talking about integrity and accountability. And that was me. It's like, oh me? No, you don't like that was I wasn't aware yeah, necessarily. Just it wasn't a halo. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, like I'm some sort of like perfect victim or whatever, right? Like, you know, okay, no, I need to sit down and really be accountable for these things and take ownership of these things. And that's what enabled me to step into the the roles that I would ultimately find. And well, so you're right. It's actually called the innocent one. Innocent one. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But you play it. Yeah. It might, you might not know you're playing it, but you play it. Exactly. Just, just kind of like a caught with your pants down and around your ankles. Who, me? <laughs> right. Oh, no, I was, I was, what was I doing? Uh, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that was what the weekend did for me is that it, I was the one who caught myself. Like, fortunately, I wasn't out of integrity in, in any way with the group, but I caught, I caught myself. I got convicted by my own conscience. Like, I'm doing this. I don't like this feeling. And rather than pushing it away, you know, I, I leaned into it and I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for that, um, uh, for all the different forces that align to make that possible. And I, I would like more men to take that approach. I would like more men to allow themselves to be convicted because I, I think now that you pointed out, you're right. Like I do know a lot of different men who could be quite powerful, quote unquote, magicians in, in the way that we're talking about facilitating transformation for men, but who, who give their, their energies and their powers to, to other things. And it's a, it's a shame now that you point it out. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm having fun doing these Will Reforms as Coffee episodes, so I thought I'd do another one. I want to take a moment to talk with you about Reformation Coffee's four key promises. First, they say, we will serve God and glorify his name with our business. How many companies do you currently support that say that? I know we're all enamored of the post-millennial vision, But if that vision doesn't touch ground in your spending habits, what difference does it make? Yay, post-millennialism, we say on our way to Starbucks, Target, and Whole Foods. I'm sorry, no. Post-mill is what post-mill does. And post-mill got to start investing some money into Christendom. Now I'm saying, second, Reformation Coffee says, we will strive to serve you the highest quality, freshly roasted coffee. Did you catch that? Freshly roasted coffee. Reformation does not white label beans roasted by someone else. You can probably buy Starbucks beans by the ton, throw them in a fancy design bag, and put a reformed Christian looking sticker on them, and none will be the wiser. Meanwhile, it's just something from an unknown brand name, and your dollars dump right back into the beast. Brandon does nothing like that. You order, he roasts, he ships, you grind, you drink. And a pastor, his family, and his community are supported. Take a moment to think about that. It's easy to take coffee for granted because it's everywhere, which is why I say this one small change can make a huge difference in a key part of your life. High quality, freshly roasted, Christendom building coffee. I hope the picture is coming into focus. Third, they say, we will roast your coffee within three days of your order. That means you don't have to wait for your coffee to be produced. 
you order on Monday, they roast by Thursday. You're not waiting around two or even three weeks for some guy to get around to roasting your coffee. This isn't a side hustle. This isn't a hobby. Brandon pastors a church, works a job, is married to his lovely wife, Cassie, and has two kids, one of whom is getting married soon, and somewhere in that, he roasts you coffee on demand. A promise like that can only be made by a man who's passionate about what he does. Because again, other Christian coffee companies could white-label beans and feed some share of their profits into the mouth of worldliness. Brandon says no to that and puts his time, energy, heart, and effort on the line to do better. Men, I really hope you're getting the picture here. If not, pause this recording and think about it. Because the fourth promise Reformation Coffee makes is this. We will ship your coffee within four days of your order. Your fresh roasted coffee is shipped right away. It doesn't sit on the shelf waiting for the fulfillment guy to get around to it after he's done with his other job. For Brandon, this is a family affair. He roasts, the family ships, tracks, accounts, and fulfills. They all work together to do one thing, deliver you an incredible cup of coffee. So when you order Reformation coffee, that's what you're buying into. That's what you're a part of. A lot of men talk about doing the thing. Brandon is doing the thing. In fact, he's probably doing it right now as he's listening to this. Cassie might be right there with him. Which is why week after week, I'm telling you to peel a few dollars off your monthly coffee budget to support a man and his family giving their all to build into Christendom. No LARPing, just a labor of love, one with a generational impact that you can taste. So I hope I've convinced you, not just why you should be drinking Reformation coffee because it's delicious, but why you should be supporting them, which you can do by going to reformationcoffee.com right now and ordering some beans. Choose from Ethiopia, India, Guatemala, or Brazil roasts. Buy 12-ounce bags or samplers. You can also subscribe to have your coffee delivered automatically and use the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag on the house. And remember, when you do, you'll be purchasing God-glorifying coffee, fresh roasted on demand within three days and shipped right away. Find me another coffee company that promises the same, and I'll buy you a bag of Reformation coffee on me. But here's the thing, you can't. And that, I thought, was something worth celebrating. Happy sipping, friends. So let's, let's explain. We could do a whole talk on archetypes, and that would take the rest of the night. But here's, Jesus basically got three roles. So we, the reason we talk about archetypes, which means every person in the world has a magician in them. Don't know why, don't care to explain by it, but it is an attribute that is about creativity and the ability to do transformative work. Uh, magician is quite broad. It, people in the sciences, that the poets, uh, uh, anybody that does ritual spaces, you know, surgeons and, and doctors and, and, and uh, preachers, and right, anybody that performs rituals and rabbis and such. Pastors, these, yeah. Pastors, right? These are, uh, this is the magician realm. And you also see that in gurus. Right, mm -hmm. a cult of personality leaders. These are great magicians, right? You think they're kings, but they're magicians, and um, all these archetypes, which, which is within us and which we all possess, have three attributes. So we'll, maybe we'll touch on all four. There's many archetypes, but there's four main ones that are easily explained. The magician realm, uh, when it's in its fullness, as it's called, which means it's operating in its highest, best level. It's it's there to help bring the the king energy into the realm of being into the world, right? So it's serving something greater, a God, king, greater purpose. So it's there to help transform the space so that these magical things can happen on behalf. So it's using your powers 
as an individual to help gather people or bring things together and make things happen for a greater good. That's the best, you know, or a great surgeon comes to take out the cancer and now you got a life, but you get your life back. This is operating in the best sense of what they call in its fullness. It's mature, it understands its roles, and it's there to perform this unique function is quite necessary to take from nothing, an idea into the world uh, manifest. Great. Another part of that same magician work you'll see as a manipulator, right? That power can be used to manipulate, to trick and to cajole and, to, and right for its own good or some other nefarious reason. That's the other part that you got to watch out for and, and be discerning because these can be very charismatic, very narcissistic, narcissistic or even sadistic operators that know how to work you. And you can feel that when there's something that just ain't right. That's your magician feeling magicians at work or working you, right? The other part of the magician is the one that kind of gets called out and gets caught. And you'll see it, right? All of a sudden, it's like, who, me? Uh, no, 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 I'm the victim here. Well, no, 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 no. They're out to get me. So they place the halo over the head, and they're adjusting the halo. They're playing the innocent one. That's really a magician realizing he's been dragged out into the shadow, has been dragged out into the sunlight. Mm. And he's being seen. I just recognize someone in my life like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Best way to call out a magician is to drag him into the sunlight. Yeah. Anybody that's like manipulating a family and they're keeping this abuse stuff secret and they're starting to, you pull them onto the sunlight and their powers are gone. Yeah. Any, anybody operating this world that refuses to be seen or wants to keep that secret is manipulating people. You, best thing you do is call them out and they evaporate. Yeah. Because they really don't have any power except for the power of their be, ability to manipulate. That's powerful, and they're freaking good at it. Yeah, they are. All right. So that's the magician room. So we all have that in us, right? Our ability to deceive and cajole and to get our hands on the power, right? And they do it all in secret, right? We don't want to be seen doing that. Or get caught, you put on the innocent one. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not me. I'm whatever, playing the victim role or something. The true calling of the magician is to help bring things into being, right? That were only an ideal to try to manifest that in the world to make for the good, transformation for the good. That's the proper use of the magician, right? That's just that. If you want, we'll step into the warrior. Yeah, let's do all four. Okay. So what is the warrior, right? He's not the hero. The warrior is a mature masculine that knows how to do, to build what has to be built on behalf of some, some greater good, right? His family, his, his country, his God, is there, there to serve them. Make things happen, to move like, at sometimes great cost and great risk to himself, to, 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 to even to finish a book, to, to, to put on the blinders, to put on a narrow scope, to realize what it is that has to be done and to go after it. That's warrior, right? And when it's there in service to something greater than itself, that's the warrior in its fullness. 
A warrior that's in shadow can be a mercenary. That's a person that's in it for himself. That's whatever it is for money or for fame or for whatever. It's a fierce drive for self-aggrandizement and self-benefit, right? Or you can have the absence of the warrior. That means you can't defend the boundary. You can't stand up for yourself. Or maybe they've been tromped on and they're killed. Actually, someone could walk right through your right through your warrior where you got no defenses and go and slap around your psychic and, and emotional self and walk back out because there's no warrior to go, hold on, this stops now. No, you're not going to, you're not going to talk to me that way. This is not, no, no, this stops now. Or there will be a change. Mm -hmm. All right. Hold, the warrior just saying about going, it's also about holding the boundaries, protecting the boundaries. No, you don't cross that line. No, this is not going to happen. This is very important roles for the warrior. But if you've been damaged or been stepped on so many times, you're a young person, every time you literally hit down, always compromised, and you can let people into your psychic and spiritual and mental and emotional world, and they can just tromp on you and step all over you and your doormat and you let them. You don't know why, but you're letting them do that. That's that's the lack of warrior to hold the boundaries so that your dignity and your self-respect is uncompromised. Very important work. So the pattern of your life may show up in some of the where you might need to strengthen uh, your archetype or fortify it or to call yourself out, uh, not because you're lacking, because it, it needs help, needs to be worked on. Okay, the lover. Without the lover, all these other archetypes are really not very human. It brings compassion and it brings libido, it brings the juice, you know, and also it also it's very spontaneous and it wants things now. It's it's if it wasn't for lover, it'd be a it'd be, all these other archetypes are kind of like a little removed from real life. So is the king. We'll talk about that soon. So the lover is libido, it's the juice. Right, where do you get the juice out of life? And so, um, when the lover is is in its fullness, it's got to be governed by the warrior because it wants it doesn't want any rules. <laughs> <laughs> it wants what it wants now, and that's where you get your uh, alcoholics and, and addicts and things like this because you want the pleasure now, and that's where all the spontaneity comes from, which is lovely, but it needs to have some boundaries. Get it from the warrior. Yep. Uh, but what it does do, which is wonderful about the lover, is it brings compassion and a real humanity to all the other archetypes can you imagine a king with no heart yeah can you, right you know can, right with no compassion no empathy right that's the lover part of that great leadership uh, uh position stewardship that without it it's it can become tyrannical it keeps us from becoming into tyrants uh the warrior that doesn't that keeps you from becoming a mercenary because the body count does matter so you do things into with discernment because you realize this is going to cause pain, yet it has to be done. So without compassion, you're just a robot, right? And for the magician, geez, they can always put their lover at size, so it seems. <laughs> you know, without them, I think they're just they can be just absolutely dangerous. Uh, yeah. so so that's the lover when it goes into shadow. It it it, it has to be governed. Now, the absence of lover. Sometimes you see kind of manifest and never see someone who's like depressed. There is nothing that gives them juice in life. This is dangerous. 
I, I think it's a very sad circumstance where nothing makes you can make you happy. There is no joy. You know that, that can be brought in life. That's a you know that's a dead or seriously wounded lover, and um, that's a very sad and dark place to actually have no juice for life, no joy that comes from a beautiful day or a wonderful piece of work, or a lovely piece of music or a, a, a lovely human being that you encounter that just warms your heart. And, and just, that's, imagine not having any of that, absence of that. And, and I think that's somewhat what you find in people that are really depressed. You see it in directions, no, no, I don't know, I don't know. It's not working for me. No, no, no. It's like the lover. It's oh, it's sad. And, and it's like, come on, it's just come on, let's, for one day. Let's go have, let's go sailing. I know you went sailing. You know, let's let's go to the beach. Let's just play. Uh, and it is lovers play and display. And so it's it's wonderful. And it's all those things that we know that are gratifying to us and rewarding to us. It's usually through the lover. Mm -hmm. but, right, the the warrior can go get stuff and everything, but the, if the lover delivers appreciate anything, um, what's the point? Yeah, it, it, it brings you present, right? It makes you appreciate now, and of course, but it has to be governed because now can rule everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, King uh, gets talked about a lot. I, I actually think this world needs a lot more great magicians than they do kings, mm. uh, but uh, I really do. The people that can do great transformative work, uh, rather than sit on top and play king. Um, mm. So I think uh, the way I see king, king is the stewardship. You are not king of anything. Uh, if if you got your stuff together, and if you've done your other work, the king will start to come online, yeah. which means you'll start becoming a man that can take responsibility. But we'll see that responsibility. Not no as a stewardship piece. You are, you are granted stewardship over a domain because you are not the ruler, you are the interpreter of the greatest rule for the greatest good. And that discernment and your ability to call on, as King, to call on your magician when you need it, your warrior when it's needed, right? Your lover to keep them all human, this really ability to navigate that and to guide yourself and your people to some, as a steward of a seat, because you've earned the respect and the love and you can hold that space without becoming tyrannical, hmm. right? So a king in his fullness is there in service to something greater to himself, an ideal, a nation, a God, right? You know, a constitution or some form, and he's there to help to bring that down through the realm and his well-being is the well-being of the realm he's kind of the center of that world or that domain and the shadow king of course is the tyrant that's somebody who's usually more like a magician that has jumped into the king's seat and he's there for his own benefit and he rules by fear and by domination and we all know what tyrant looks like right, right. and then there could be the absence of the king who's also sadly called a coward right that's there's no sovereignty at all there's no it's an abdication of all the responsibility of taking ownership of what's what needs to be a sovereign part of yourself in order to 
to have an, a hierarchy that is solid so that you can be a, a world builder. If, if you shy away from that and you run away from all that kind of responsibility, that's what's well, called the coward part of the king archetypes. Where you're abdicating all your responsibility. You don't want the responsibility. You don't want that role or it scares you or you don't feel you're good enough. Um, but usually that comes on a little bit later in life anyway, after you kind of like, you got all these other things kind of worked out and all of a sudden it's like, I, I realize I'm being in a king role because it's, um, well, look around, there's very few else there. So it's guess what, it's because my, my job and mm -hmm. uh, I hold it in myself, my ego is down and my, my responsibility, my, my, my commitment is, is up and my ego goes down if I'm doing it right. So right, uh, so the scrutiny goes up. So those are the basic kind of four archetypes that if you realize that, and that's what I was putting together, my early work was putting together circles that were examining that and maybe watching movies and, and stopping them and talking about what you see. Because many movies are just personifications of these things. They take a little piece and they stick it on the screen and you can see it. Now that you know these, it's, it's really quite interesting to see how writers use archetypes. Uh, they bust one out and personify it, put, make it as a single person, and that's one-dimensional. We're starting to see more dimensional parts of heroes these days, you know, where they have a shadow side or a, uh, this or that. Um, but that's a, a short overview. But so when, when you get good at recognizing these, I think it helps to you see somebody or you're in a situation. That, in some ways, it's, it's easier to discern what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Like I said, on the men's weekends, they seem like they're kings, but no, actually, they're magicians. Right? Mm -hmm. right? So what are you looking at when you're looking at a great cult leader? You know, uh, usually it's a great magician. And But are they manipulating? Sometimes it's pretty hard to tell because magicians are highly intelligent. Mm -hmm. Magicians and shadows are smart. And they're very, they're usually charismatic. Right? Not many, many times very not good looking people. You know, really, and mm -hmm. and they can get stuff. They can make shit happen. Mm -hmm. They really can. So it's easy to get swept up, and then it's like turn around and now, well, now the guy's got an island and he's flying people there to have little parties. You know, you go mm. holy crap, holy crap. <laughs> you know, who knew? Well, a lot of people knew. <laughs> you know, so I hope that helps a little bit of overview of the archetypes, but it makes this work fascinating. That and. Uh, and the storytelling of Bly, you know, that I, I still like stories and it's a way to relate to people. And that's, that's uh, a good start. So mm -hmm. hopefully uh, learn a little bit. So what I encourage you to do is go get Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette's book. Mm -hmm. So I had the great fortune of getting to know those men too. And uh, I still talk to Doug. I talked to Doug yesterday. Uh, wonderful man. Wonderful mm -hmm. man. We lost uh, Dr. Moore a few years back. I remember you saying earlier uh, how exciting it was for you to go on your first uh, warrior weekend, as they're called, and to see these ideas that you had read in books broken out into living story form. It's one thing to read about them. It's another thing to spend 48 hours living in calls written out about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not just, and that, that was the thing. It wasn't just like they were casually winging their way through this. Like, I think it would took me about 24 hours because you get thrown into it. Like it goes from zero to 60 
in a second. You open a door and it's like on. It's like, ah, oh, what's happening? So about 24 hours into it, there was a, I don't want to give away the whole structure, but I remember there was a, there was a, in the afternoon, we we're out journaling in a field or something like that. And then they come lead the men back to, back to the main, back to the main hall. And we're all, and there's like a drum playing and we're all marching in line. And I was suddenly struck with this idea, like there's nothing, act, so first of all, something's coming. Something, I can feel that. And then it was like, there's nothing haphazard about any of this. This is a process that I'm in the middle of. And that was the really cool thing to feel was like the, to, the way that it was constructed to bring all these various archetypes. By the way, thank you for that articulation of those. I think all the men listening and many of the women listening too will be able to recognize it. Women will recognize it in their men and the men will recognize various pieces of all of those in themselves. Like just, it's a, it's a particular way of looking in the mirror. And what, what the Mankind Project was great at on that weekend was giving men the experience of these pieces in their various forms live inside you and your habits and behaviors and beliefs. And you have the chance to bring them all out in various ways and look at them and see the way that they're leading to your life as it's currently constructed. And what are you going to do about that now that you know? And now that you know about this, and now that you have these circles of men around you that have been through the same thing, like you're not just being cast out into the world alone. We've all been through it together. I think what's great about some, some things and what they do is like, holy cow, this has been there all this time. Yeah. Like, like all this, you know, all this knowledge and all this wisdom is there. Like, where have I, where have I been? Yeah. <laughs> is this allowed? <laughs> you know, uh, just say it's, it's a door that opens up to doors. It opens up to doors, um, and it's really when I like it when it's really particular to men because uh, what I love about men. Let's go there a little bit. Mm. I think for most men, um, these kind of things are episodic. It means something happens and a guy says, "I got to go fix this." Yeah, you know, it's like finally, finally, I realized that you know this ain't working out for me. I want to go fix this and get on with my life, and I love that. And I think that's probably ninety percent of men. They don't do lifetime. A personal development work. They want to get fixed and get back to their lives. Yeah, put me back in the fight. Yeah, that's right. Take me up, get me, you know, straighten me out, and uh, and get me back in the fight, which is which is absolutely wonderful. So what I love about men is truly when they're in the mind of saying, "All right, I need to, I, I need to do something here. Help me." All right, you got it, pal. Right, mm -hmm. so. All you're really doing with most men is you take that ship that's upside down that they don't know it yet and they're drowning or whatever. They right side the ship, show them where the sail goes, give them a compass, put them back on the on the ship, give them, <laughs> give, give them, give them a decent little staff to get them going again, put them on the wheel and the compass and say that way. <laughs> yes. You just do that for the guy and he goes, hey, thanks. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Go. Yeah. Good. You're my friend for life. Yeah, go. Thanks, pal. You got it, man. Go. Yeah. And they're off. Then they're off, and that's what they need. Get it right. Get the, you know, put that shoe on the other foot. Now it's that's why your feet hurt. It's left, right, <laughs> left, right. Switch your shoes. Lace them up tight. They feel better. Good. Go. Yeah. That's all most most guys need. And they're back into their life. That's wonderful. Yes. And that's actually that kind of reset. This is a is a great great thing, and most guys are like, "Got it, Captain." You know, you know, I owe you one. Yes, you do. See ya. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's great. And that was, you know, for ninety percent of the men, you know, three thousand or whatever it was men that came through that I talked to. That was 
it did them a great service. And then, but a number of people just stayed because they actually found a home. They loved being in community with men. And they been a group. Some of these groups have been around for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've been with a bunch of men that I know for 20 years or, yeah. or more. Just, I love these men and they care for me. And it's not contingent on what I bring or what I do. It's, it's just lovely to have like what's going on here. Yeah. Right? Uh, I can imagine that on an ongoing basis at any time that you want or need it. And that, I, I, to me, it's a great benefit. And, and uh, to me, there's no downside. Absolutely no, no, no downside. So I encourage anyone to check check into any of this and and uh, look what can you do to enrich your life. And um, hey, man, you think I, you do got to do these things in confidentiality? Too. We've been very careful not to use yeah, yeah, names yeah. in places and things because you don't do that. You know, this is a place where you can spill your guts and it stays here. No one's gonna pry that out of me. You know, go after yourself. Ain't gonna happen. Mm -hmm. right? When you got that, as far as the kind of stuff you can offload, it doesn't mean you're in crisis all the time. You just can go, you know, I don't guys just like sometimes, God, it's been a week from hell. You know, I just, hey guys, tell me I'm great. We have one more time. I could use it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel a mess. I don't, you know, I'm not showing up the way I want to show up. Remind me of how great I am, okay? I says, yeah, you want me to blow smoke? Yeah, I want you to blow smoke. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Help me out here. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's I hope we're starting to convey, you know, through, through some of this, the uh uh what a great benefit uh men can yeah. be. And 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 nothing to say about what a women can, can contribute because it's it's great and wonderful and it's a whole nother, but it's a whole other spectrum, uh a whole nother universe of things i hope that men that do this kind of work have greater value to their relationships absolutely right that if you can unburden your relationships with let's say 30 percent of your crap great then you don't have to dump it on on in who's ever in your household or hold it in until it comes out sideways you know and you're becoming as unemotionally unavailable because you try to punish the person for something. And come on, take it to your men's group, work out as much as you can. Yep. And if you got issues with your actual significant other, then it's not charged with all this other crap that you're holding on to about your boss or about how you always get pushed around as a kid. You know, hey, you can offload a good chunk of that stuff, mm -hmm. right? And unburden your relationships. Right, so that it can, when you're with your significant others, that it can be about them instead of them carrying your boatload of crap that you dragged with you into your forties. You know, right? Right? Yeah. Come on, come on, go go offload a little bit so you can maybe have the have the uh, mental stability and emotional uh, security to to take on a little burden on behalf of those you care about. Right, so they're not—they're not your crutch. You know, you could be a little bit of strength for them. I like—I like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you show up in those relationships, they're not there to fix you. No, you go fix yourself, so that you're a fixed human being when you're in your relationships, mm -hmm. and everything's wrong with the relationships. It's about the relationships, not about your garbage that you've carried with you that you haven't unpacked for the last thirty years of your life. 
come on. Yeah. Clean up your yard before you complain about the neighbors. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I hope everyone listening, like what, what you're saying, all these things. And this was always the experience of, of what's inside men that I had with me when I started writing and creating content and doing podcasts about masculinity. And I have, I've you know carried this for 10 years now. And so um, not in as mature and as developed a form, but certainly in my own way. And when I started talking about men, particularly to women and surfacing all these things that men carry inside us, I got so much pushback, like my man's not, not like that. And, you know, from women that are carrying naturally in many cases and exaggeratedly in some cases, a lot of bitterness and anger because they've never seen this side of men because those men have never seen the side of themselves. And so that's always been such a big tragedy is, is to know the stuff that you're saying to have seen it in, it's not theoretical. It's not like I read it in a book. I've seen it live in real time and been it. And to know that men have so much potential and ability and so much depth within them, and they carry so much from the past, right? And they can stuff it down way far down so that no one else, they think that no one feels it. And even they don't feel it. And they're carrying, every single man is carrying all of this around and they never get the chance to discover it. They never get the chance to see it. They're never in an environment or few are in environments where they can really unpack this stuff. Maybe they'll get to go on a hunting trip with a buddy and after spending two or three days in the, in the, in the blinds, you know, in the duck blinds or whatever, waiting or, or waiting for an elk to pass by, a guy will, will confess something, you know, like my dad, you know, my dad abused me or something like that after three days, you know, yeah. with his best friend in silence. His and that goes, and, Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Right. And it'll disappear in an instant. If he does, if he's not, well, present I'm glad you let me talk about that. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for letting me let that out versus the opportunity when you sit down in a circle of, in a circle of, uh, say trained magicians, let's say, right. It's like, well, let's talk about that. You know, what's going on there. And the, and the feeling of like, is this, is this really happening? Like, do I get the floor to talk about or this? Like, is, is there more you'd like to say about that? Correct. Yeah. Let it out. Like to really create the space for a man to say the thing that needs to be said that he can't say anywhere else to really say it, to really dig it out. And that, that's what creates change. That's, that's what created change in me was the ability and, and not just on the mankind project, but in, in, in a therapist's office and in men's groups, right? right? To be able to say the thing, I can't dare say this, but I have to, I can't not say this anymore. And then when I finally said it, that's mm -hmm. when everything started to change. Cause it's like, cause now it's out there. It's like now, okay. Whew. Well, there's another side to this too. So listen, uh, if, if I can, if I can, not admit that um, there's something troubling me. That means I don't have to deal with it. So there's a correct. There's a great, there's a great, great propensity uh, to say that shit. If I admit it, that means I got to do something about it. And yes. I don't want to do. And I don't want to do something about it. So uh, I'm. It's just a. Hey, that's not going to be. That's off off limits. That's not going to happen. And and that's that. Hey, you know what? Uh, that's fine. But it's not fine. It's fine if you can still deal with it. But if it's really eating you. Um, some people scoff at therapy, but you know what? Um, Has a place. That's, that's all I can say is that I hope it doesn't eat at you and I hope you're not holding in those things because this is what gives I gives men's heart attacks. And I don't know. I think it robs you of your joy. So, you know, what's the, I mean, what's the practical sense of all this? Just because you should? No, I mean, that's all, I'm not going to say that to any man. You should. 
should no. You shouldn't do anything. Do you want? That's what I want to know. What do you want? What do you want? Well, I want this to go away. I want a magic wand, right? So, okay, we'll go get your magic wand and we'll go three times. Okay, then make it go. Has it gone away? Ah, no. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you get your money back for that wand? Maybe it needs new batteries or something. Right? It was a gift, right? but yeah, here you go. Try it, try it again. Try it again. Try it again. <laughs> oh, still didn't work. So, like, what else can we do? Yeah. So, can you maybe tell me? Because maybe I can't make it go away, but if um, if you're okay with it, maybe unpacking it will at least get it out of the secret, eat you up in the inside mode, you know? Mm -hmm. So you want to do that? All right. What's bugging you? What's eating there? Okay. I'm listening. Okay. Thank you. That took courage. Now, do you want to do something about that or are you just good right now for just getting it off your chest? All right. I honor your decision. It's good. Thank you. <sighs> Better. Yeah. Better. Okay. So you're coming back next, uh, next group? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. See you then. We can do that for each other. But you're right, Will. How to hold space. It's a mm -hmm. big thing. How to hold mm -hmm. space for men. And the other thing I wanted to add to that is what you said about most men just need their shoes put on straight, need their boat righted and sent in the right, like that way. Aye, aye, Captain, I'm off. And like, I want to go on my own little personal rant yeah, about I, this. I love that about guys. Yeah. Well, this is this is, this is is why the, 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 the dialogue about masculinity it, particularly in the manosphere and the red pill space in many ways is so destructive. I won't even use the word toxic. It's destructive because it frames every man as if he has to be alpha. A lot of guys just don't want to be alpha. They don't want to be kings of the world. Fix my shoes, fix my boat. Let me go get going off on the direction I want to go. And for God's sake, graduate. Do not stay in my funnel for life. Don't stay in my funnel for life as I work you up the chain and, and extract more money from you to try and turn you in an alpha. Most men just have a few problems that they need fixed yeah. to live good, godly lives and fix them up and send them on the way. Good. Get out of here. Those Go are shame-based shame uh, shame magician, uh, dark Correct. magician efforts. I hate it. Uh, it's very toxic. Um, yes. So and there's a lot. It's everywhere. Sure it is. It works. You know why? It works. You know why? It works. It makes money. Works to find it. Make, it makes sure a lot of money. Yeah, I, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, if I can make you feel like crap and then promise you the way out. And the way out, the way out is through your wallet, <laughs> which you then enter your credit card on a month. Do it. Give me your credit card and we'll, you're on your right. way. And look, I don't, it's okay to pay for services, but when the, when you start getting the feeling that you're being worked, when, as opposed to like, look, I just want you to lead a happy life and go and be happy. Don't stay here if you don't want to. That's where you start getting into the cult of personality stuff. No, you can't leave. There's no one else out there but me. You're going to lose all your friends if you do that. No, go with a blessing. Go be happy and live your life. And, well, the, and here's, that's here's, here's how I think this happens, though. Uh, uh, say a younger man, it probably doesn't happen much to older men, but say a younger man who's just a newbie, right? They don't know any better. They have no other 
they have no other teaching. They have no other discernment, really. They run across yes. somebody who's charismatic and appears to have everything uh, going for them that they would like to see for themselves. And the guy says, you know, you can do that. All you need to do is these 10 things. So click here. I'll get you the 10 things. You join the club and we'll mentor you. You know, to get these things. Do you want a car? Do you want this kind of person? Do you want this kind of life? Do you want this kind of sex life? Do you want to have this kind of body? Do you want this kind of status? Do you want to be the alpha of your group? I never was before, but I am now. Do you want to know my secret? Click the link. Damn, sounds good to me. I don't know no better. Sure. Click the link. He just wants. 25 bucks for the first session? Great. Give me the give me the basics. And then, you know, I'm getting juiced out of this. Hey, this is stuff I never knew before. So I think there's a taking advantage of the, not to say that maybe some of it's helpful. Maybe some of it is helpful. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I don't want to throw it all out. Yeah. Maybe some of it's very helpful and, and starts. And then uh, when does it become destructive? When, if, if, if you find that, these gurus are leading people down a path where it's really about roping them into more and more for higher, higher expectations that are basically shame based. If you don't do this, yeah. what kind of what kind of a what kind of a doormat are you? Uh, you allow this to happen. This is this is shame based manipulation. Mm -hmm. uh, and though it may be true, it may be true that I'm getting stepped on and I feel like a doormat. So all that's going to go in and go, yes, yeah, 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 that's me. When it's getting used to rope you, this is where I take it off the individual who's being duped to the magician that knows what he's doing but playing the innocent one. Yeah. This is a master manipulator playing innocent. I'm just helping men. How do I notice some kid that's going to wind up being a maniacal idiot, you know what I mean, running a running a porn empire because of my teachings? What's that got to do with me? Got it. Got it. It's very plausible. Another part of me goes, bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And you got plausible deniability and you're wearing that as a cloak and I can see right through it, you piece of crap. Yeah. All right. But nevertheless, there's, uh, there's the blessing and curse of this wonderful internet thing that we have that these bigger-than-life personalities that are quite charismatic and quite compelling and great magicians, they will find an audience, and they're good. Yeah. And they're entertaining, and they hit the mark, and they're brilliant, and they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. They're not serving a king, really, are they? Is everything they're making going to a charity? I don't know. Is it? That would be a nice indication. Well, how do you think he got that five Lamborghinis? Well, suckers like you. That's how he got it. Right. Not saying that it's, it's, it's always the case, but how about, what if the guy said, you know what? Um, I've made it well in my life. I'm not a rich, rich man. But everything from this effort, because I just want to help men, 99.9% out of every dollar goes to helping relieved, sexually abused children around the world. And here it is in writing. So anything you want to donate goes right there, and you can have any of the content you want. I'm liking that. 
There's a guy. Mm-hmm. All right. There's a guy. I says, yeah, I could be making bank on this. I know that. But I just trust the content will help you. If you feel that really will help for you, kick in. You know, and it's all going to go to this other thing, you know, that's a bona fide, what, a 501c3 to help starving pelicans or whatever. Fine. Great. Save the cranes or whatever it is, right? If you believe in that, then, hey, that's benevolent, mm-hmm. right? That's using your power for good, for something greater. But to buy another uh, boat and, I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I hope they're doing some good. I hope those men, when they start to feel they're being used, will bail. But in the absence, here's where it is. In the absence of other mentors and or older men, this is what fills the void. This is the Lord of the Flies. Yes. It's the poo airs, the boys, leading boys. There's no, there's no elders there. There's no, you don't see guys my, my age trying to do that crap because they know better. <laughs> Uh, plus, it's not going to be too appealing to a 20-year-old kid, but a uh, young man, I should say, uh, not in a way that a cage fighter might have, you know, some of some notoriety and fame. But be discerning. If, if anyone likes this stuff, I'm sure there, there is plenty to learn from someone who's at any level of success. And realize um, when you're getting possessed, let's put it this way, when do you have the archetype under your control or does the archetype have you mm. right when you're being possessed possessed by something that you need it so bad that all the blinders go on that can feel just like i'm on mission and finally i got my rudder in the water i know where i'm going that could have that could be true in a good sense and it could be true in a very sacrificial something that you might regret later so if you get on a track, this, for instance, if you want to be a world-class bodybuilder and you want to follow some, some guru's path to excellence, you just put on the blinders, you do all that, and it's like, you know, damn the torpedoes and go, you might get somewhere, and then you might turn out regretting, oh, shit, you know, I took steroids and I wrecked my body. Yeah. I, I, I treated women like dirt, and, and now I realize, you know, just, I've, been, I've been an asshole my whole life. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I... I yeah, I got some money, but you know how many bodies are left in my wake uh, because it was uh, that kind of thing. Uh, when I finally come up out of this trance and realize, um, so be careful that warrior magician combo. That when you're possessed by that, that means your your own healthy ego society and these things have taken over you. Whereas if they're serving you. You realize what you're doing and mission is something greater to you than yourself, right? That's the proper relationship, mm. uh, right? So that goes back to the archetypes. So if the archetype has you, you're triggered, you're on, and nothing else matters. It's, it's the thing. It's kind of a trance mode. And it's actually can be quite wonderful because it's like, I got my shit right and I'm going to go work out six hours a day and I'm going to do my stuff and I'm going to take every penny and I'm not going to take anything from anybody and I'm going to you know, I'm going to treat women like they're, you know, whatever, you know, dirt or whatever it is, uh, you know, whatever it is you're doing just to be an alpha, say, or whatever. Now, it's got you. It's that, you're not growing your masculinity in any real sense, yeah. right? It's You're being possessed by the archetype of the, of the warrior magician, and it's now running you. And mm-hmm. I think you, I think most men will regret 
the way they conduct themselves, although they still might achieve a great amount. Don't get me wrong. They might achieve great things in the material sense, uh, but I think there'll come time to regret the kind of human being you were in the process mm-hmm. upon reflection later on. And that's that's my caution, put it that way, mm-hmm. to, uh, to younger men. Be careful what you really, really buy. What Kool-Aid are you drinking? Mm-hmm. Just be wary. Learn what you can learn. Apply what you can apply. And watch the extreme end of it. <laughs> and cutting big checks. Um, yeah. You know, there's no club you really need to belong to that bad. <laughs> right, right. You know, the, you said, I, I like what you said at the very beginning. You know, hold your feet, hold hold the man in your heart and hold your feet to the fire. Right. And there's a lot of holding feet to the fire. You can, you can do all different kind of clubs and programs and groups and all that. But yeah. what, what I think men during our era of father famine need is the, the holding in the heart too. Not one or the other. You need both. And it's really convenient and really easy to send to sell a program or a membership that has you know, feet holding to the fire. And a lot of men thrive in that. And it helps them right the ship and get things going in the right direction. Absolutely. Amen. Hallelujah. But that is, if it's only that, and like you said, if it's the shame-based and the bullying and the step up, and there's no experience of like, hey, there's no one in this room that's holding me in, in their heart at all that it's always about performance, that it's always about like, you know, adding another zero or taking off a body fat percentage. And there's no notion of like, hey, like I'm carrying all this grief over some really bad stuff that happened in my life, or I'm feeling sad or down today or whatever. And it's like, nope, no one cares. Work harder, bro. Oh, that's too bad. Man up. Yeah, exactly. Man up. No one cares. Work go, harder. Go, Men do go hard to the things. Gym. Go to the gym, man. Go to the Work gym. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, there's a way in which like, hey, you know, we can we can sink under the weight of our own lack of inertia, you know, where it's like lift heavy rock, make sad head noises go away. Like, yes, absolutely. That's, that's part of us. But there are some sad head noises that we should actually listen to, that we should actually talk to somebody about. And that matters because that's what leads to the fulfilled end of life. And because as you said, go ahead. There's something about men that, that like being told to, to, to stop crying, pull up your pants. You know, this is what's so big about the military. You know yeah. what? Just just get off your baby crap. Get off your ass. Get going. I ain't buying your bullshit. Let's go. Sure. Now. And if you're not with us, go home. Or or, or you know, or, or work hard. There's something that's that's really attractive. Men and say, yeah, you know, I'm kind of been kind of a slob for everything. You know, I'm just so it's like everything goes into that bucket, and it's really a shame bucket, but also some of it yeah. could be true. You know what? I've been I've been giving myself a pass for a long time. Sure. And and I've been whining uh, about about this little scratch I got that stops me from being you know the best person I could be, and I keep picking at it. I call it wound worshiping. You mm-hmm. know, keep picking at your. <clears throat> what excuses you got. So there's part of men that really like that. And I understand that. So I want to put that out there too. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Enough. Can you stand up? Okay, then you're going. Or go home. You know, okay, son. That, that strains a lot, of, a lot of guys out. <laughs> yeah. it's And if that's your only move, Right, that's where things become. But there's nothing. There's nothing intrinsically yeah, wrong with it. It's that. good for initial inertia, right? To get correct, get going. Correct. And and what you said, we started out the conversation saying, you know, a man around age 35 starts having these things surface in his life, right? And he has to be. It's it, that's the beginning of the process of him probably needing to sort it out. 
And if he doesn't sort it out by 45, he's in trouble, right? And then, and then if he doesn't sort it out by 60, he's in big trouble. And so pretty sad guy. Yeah. And so, so this is where, you know, the, no one cares, work harder, military mindset, men who hit the age 35 and they're like, Nope, can't go into that. No one cares, work harder. And then they transit to 45 and they double down on that. Like, Nope, no one cares, work harder. And then, but then what happens when they get to 60? That's, that's how this, that's how this is created. And so the no one cares alpha, whatever military mindset, fantastic for men who need it. I think in their, in their early twenties, as they go through that whole phase. But if that's your only move by the time you get to 35 and by the time you get to 45 and 60, that is not a good road. And that's the balance. And so, so much of our, so much of, of, of American society is so youth centric. Like, God forbid a man should live to be 40 or 50. God forbid, oh, I don't want to think about that, right? But there's a whole other back half of life of joy and celebration and give back that we don't even look at anymore because we're so focused on the demands of youth. And I think it's a, it's a big problem. Well, no, it's okay. Literally, the man's biggest earning times is between his ages of like 32 to 53 or something like that. So that was like big, big earning years. And that is really, that is go time for a lot of guys. Um, But I think to your point is, do you realize, are you present enough to actually go through the transitions of your life that you realize that when you are 45, you don't have the vigor, most men of of what they had in their twenties. And and is there a way, are you present and mature enough to accept that and say, but you have other gifts because now you're starting, what comes online more is your king wisdom mode, right? Right. You're smarter. You're not working harder. You really are working smarter. This is where you're putting the the maximum amount of your money into in your investments. You're really starting to think, okay, my, what's my exit strategy here? 15, 20 years, I'm going to be out of this game. I'm going to look at the long end game. If you got it, if you got your life settled by then, then you've got this other look and it's okay. I got guys in their twenties that they go out and cut the logs and drag them across the hill and mm-hmm. you know do the marching and they and they love it. I ain't gonna do that, <laughs> right? You know, I, I want them to be safe and I make sure they got everything they need and they get provided for. And so I got a different role now. Uh, I think if a man knows that, then just there's still a lot to contribute. But if a younger man can't see that and the value of having, or they haven't seen it, meaning that they don't have a relationship with an older man that can carry him in his heart, but hold his feet to the fire. That makes me sad. Mm-hmm. And most men have never had that. No, right. I well, know. Yeah. And so that big hole, the big void, that's why these other things, I understand why men could gravitate to what's online. And yeah. and, and because it's, it's filling a void, there's an absence. And so they're just grabbing at straws. And, and, and so it gets to be compelling because what else, what's to oppose it? It's kind of like, hey, dude, you know, you want cars, you want chicks, you want money, you want fame, you want status, you know, you want to look like a god, or do you want to sit there in your chair and just get fatter? You choose. I don't care. That's a pretty powerful, <laughs> pretty persuasive. You mm-hmm. know, I get it. I get it. All you can do is caution the men that are watching this to say, just be careful how deep you get, you know. I'm sure there's yes. something to learn, and maybe it will help you get you off your butt, get you off the couch, which is great. But it doesn't mean that you drink the Kool-Aid and be part of the cult. Careful. Mm-hmm. Just be careful. 
strong pull to be belonging, a sense of belonging and to be with like-minded men. And we all love being in trance. Yeah. We do. We love being in trance. I love being in trance. So it's where I'm just, I'm off. I'm off to see the wizard, you know? <laughs> it's great. I love that, you know? And uh, from one, just one man that's been down that been down the roads, the roads. Uh, I caution you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not the end of the story. There's well, more the to the story. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about because one of the things I bring up with a lot of men I talk to is the lack of elders in our culture. And you'd mentioned like magicians in shadow, and you know I've been very blessed to have you in my life as an as an elder who has who has shown me you know, what it means to be a man full of passion and energy and vitality, especially for the work, you know, long into his life. And also to be, you know, uh, people who are just listening, can't see you're in the best shape, like of, of, of by far. And a lot of the guys who have met you will validate this of almost anyone I know at 70, which is incredible. And you had to go through that transition because you had mentioned that you would let yourself go during while doing this men's work. And of course, it's very easy for men who are naturally healers to internalize a lot from other men. I certainly have done it and to medicate that with food and to let that get out of control. And so you had to go through your own transition as you as you went through the phase of your life. I met you at the end of this transition. I remember when when we met and uh, when I came to Chicago and you were sitting at the Airbnb that I was going to, I was like, who is this guy? Because I had only seen the video of you on YouTube. Oh. So I expected someone very different. And I'm like, who, who, who is this? I took, wait, Glenn? Where's Glenn? <laughs> Where's Glenn? What's the, there's not much left of him. But uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that transition because you know you you started out saying that you're a baby boomer and and a lot of people don't like baby boomers specifically because they haven't gone through this transition they haven't become it feels to me they haven't become men that have anything to give back they've got their they got theirs and now they're out versus like mm-hmm. hey hold on let me turn around and figure out how to give something mm-hmm. back to these kids or these other generations that are clearly hurting instead it's like yep no guys i'm heading for the exit see ya and it's like where are you going <laughs> right and so you model something very different well thank you for that what yeah. would you like to have me comment on well i'd like to i'd like you to comment on on your own i guess transition to elder status right like what that was like for you because men don't have a model for that today there aren't any Mm. right like what does that look like maybe some men are really lucky to have a father who's who's made that transition or maybe they can read it in books but i regard elders as one of the most powerful members of society that we're not allowed to really know about anymore and you've successfully not only made that transition but you've maintained your vitality and your energy and your fitness and your commitment to yourself in this way that's aspirational so it's not like becoming 70 means the end of your life right it can actually be a gateway to a whole new level of vitality both mentally physically and spiritually like, how did you do that? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, let's slow down and unpack it a little bit. Um, this is what I hoped for. When I started the work, you know, I heard about the eldership and, and how you're king and the elder part of you can only come online when you get yourself together. And I had hoped that it would be a settled. I, I wanted that for myself, mm-hmm. to be as settled in my masculinity and in such a healthy way that these parts of me can come online and I, my life would be settled to the point where I'm not fighting it anymore. I'm fighting for my well-being and my life to have been, meaning 
not to prove anything anymore. I don't, I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I don't. I don't. I've done enough of that. You know, I... So how? The question is really how. Um, when I just say do the work. And yes, I was so in love with the work that I ignored my body for 10 years and I put on almost 80 to 100 pounds. And then when I went to retire, it was just like, holy cow, I can barely move. And, uh, you know, blood pressure was up and cholesterol's up and non fatty liver was, was going on. And, and it was like, holy cow, dude, um, time to turn that. Well, this is part of the wonderful thing about being so in love with what you do that everything else can kind of fall off to the side. So I know of what I speak in this regard. And it's it was wonderful. And uh, probably another 10 years, I'd be dead. Uh, you know, because I get up, you go to the computer, go up, get to your car, get to your car, go to your desk, get back in your car, go to the drive-thru, get something to eat, go back home, go to bed. You know, It was a very sedentary life, but very eventful and very exciting. But I was putting on 10 pounds a year for 10 years. So 10 pounds a year for 10 years. And wow. I'm 100 pounds, almost over, overweight. Um, I retired to get a checkup. They go, dude, uh, well, most people won't change their life, but uh, here's some meds. And, um, but, you know, here's what you're supposed to do, which is, you know, clean up your act <laughs> and get moving again. So I changed all. I, I decided I didn't want to be on the meds. I tried them for a month or two. And then I, I I poured all this energy and creativity into saying, what, what is it about food? How do you heal this? How do you do that? It's just, I changed my food in like, in like four months, I lost like 40 pounds. And then it was, I felt better. So it's time to get moving and then stayed with the better food and started exercise and lost another 40 pounds, 50 pounds. And then I kind of leveled off here at 165 and it's kind of where my body wants to be. And it's, I don't know, it's been five or six years now. And it's like, I'm good. And then I start, then I start going to the gym and then it's like, okay, well, if I don't try to go too heavy, let me see how much I can, you know, pack on aesthetically to look, to, to, to start going of a, to have a look that I want, you know, mm -hmm. rather than a certain size, you know, I didn't want to do powerlifting. Not at my, not my age, but no, I wanted to, not 70. No, 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 but I wanted to have enough to, to feel virile and it does, it gives you a sense of strength and it's, yeah, it helps me and I help it, you know. Uh, if I stick with it, I, I think I should be able to hang on to this for some time. Mm -hmm. and, and any man that's pushing my age, you know, 65, 70, you, you actually can. Yes. <laughs> be, be, be careful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, don't, you're, you're not 20 and your body's not going to bounce back. So get with someone that can get you started. And I just started with once around the block and then twice around the block, then Next week was three times around the block. Then in my fourth week, it was once around the, the walking track. Then next week, you know, it, it was very, very gradual to, you know, to get moving up. And it's like, well, I guess I should join a gym. Start watching other videos. But I went for more hypergraphy than for the uh, uh, hypergraphy. Hypergraphy? Yeah. Before, yeah. yeah from another, for more, more muscle de de definition than, than, powerlifting strength mm. so it was all just all conditioning and guess what that suits me mm -hmm. if i put it this way if i don't i, I think i can tilt a little bit say say this is middle ground for me we're feeling kind of normal if i don't exercise or do something to help us i'll, I'll, I'll start to drift a little bit into the gloomier side 
get a little <laughs> gloomier, right? So I, I think I got maybe about a 30% swing. And if I do exercises, like I get a little more on the more optimistic, feeling better about myself and my and who I am side. And uh, that's probably a good 30% sh- string there about how I feel about myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm not a gym writer. I don't actually love it. But what it what the rewards are is um, I know I do it as a discipline. You know, some days it's like, I don't want to do it. And then 20 minutes into it, it's like, I was having actually a damn good day. Mm-hmm. You know? And I ask for a lot of help. You know, I go, okay, come on. Get me out of my crap. Just go. You know? But it's not like I'm in love with it, but my life is better with it than without it. Mm-hmm. So you guys, you know, 100 pounds over, can't fit in your chair anymore. The stairs look like an obstacle that scares the crap out of you. Come on. Come on, do something. Mm-hmm. You know, pack more protein on, put put the candy bars down. You know, try. Give it a go. It can help. Then hang around with young guys like this. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll kick your butt. Well, so, so what was it like having listen to thousands of men work through their stuff. And then suddenly here you are confronted with a hundred pounds of your stuff, right? Like, was there, was there, was, I mean, imagine there must've been all kinds of emotional processes, maybe not formal processes, but you know, here you are this great magician having created transformation or facilitated transformation for so many men. And now you have to do your own. (laughs) What was that like? Yeah. Well, um, you know, it was so gradual. It's kind of like they said, the frog in the pot. You put the frog in the pot, sure. you slowly heat it up and they cook some. So it was just one of those things that it was so incremental and I was so involved. And so maybe this is very relatable and so in love with what I was doing. It's like, I thought it was just, come on, by that time I'm 64, 65. And it's like, this is just what comes with this age. It was kind of an acceptance of that. And then it was, uh, then when I say, when I actually stopped being director, it was just like, it's like I look down and go, holy fuck, you know, man, I, you know, I haven't looked in the mirror and, you know, really in like 10 years and you go, oh man, this is not okay. Yeah. It's just the, and I had to just apply the same thing to myself as well. I can get on meds for the rest of my life and, or they said, actually, you're not so beat up that you're, if you don't change, you're going to be on meds the rest of your life, but you're not so beat up right? that maybe you can't recover. So it's like, I was the new mission. I was the new job. It was me. It's like, okay, I got to learn everything I can. How do you do liver cleanses? How do you do kidney flushes? How, do you, how much water should we drink? And what's good for guys my age? And what's the best kind of food? You know what I mean? What should I, what I, sh- what I shouldn't be eating? Why? And this, you know, it became a whole, a whole thing. You mm-hmm. know, I just applied everything I knew and my investigative and my curiosity and everything to how am I going to manage uh, this part? And let's see what it does. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> <laughs> but you applied yourself to it for yeah. for how long? Um, well, I guess it's been about six or seven years now. I guess. Well, that's a, that's a good amount of time. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's sustainable. Uh, every once in a while, I fall off the wagon. I am a carb junkie. <laughs> Aren't if I if I just have one cinnamon roll, I'm like I'll go back there, give me a hit, put it in right in here. I can every once in a while, a couple of times a year, I fall off the wagon, and uh, you know, then I 
shame myself and blame myself and you know beat myself up and it's over then you go back and uh, get back to work you know yeah, you don't fall that far off the wagon it's not like you fall down into the bottom of the grand canyon you know no i don't put on another 100 pounds but uh, <laughs> oh, every once or twice a year i put on 100 pounds <laughs> no i hear about that people bounce back a lot no i uh, uh maybe i'm kind of fortunate in that regard um and maybe i consider myself lucky in that regard because actually when i'm into something it's kind of like it's not work. So now I'm into this. It's not work. I don't I'm not working at it. It's yeah. It's cool. Look what I get to do. I just got to dump a hundred pounds in like eight months, you know, and now I'm in the gym and young guys are going, dude, you you rock. Yeah. You know, I can't keep up with you. You know, that's great. I'm getting yeah, you know, this is fun. Yeah. Look what I get to do, you know? <laughs> when you came to Phoenix, we went to the gym together over by my apartment. <laughs> I left you alone for a second, and then the gym owner, Santiago, was like, who's that guy? And there you are, just like ripping out curls with your biceps. It's like, who's that Who's that guy over there? We haven't seen that guy around before. The guy, he's, he's a, I walked by, he goes, who's the superhero? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't even know what that meant, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it was a good guy. It was a great time. It was a great yeah, time. It's it a good time. That's, that's, I'm so lucky that, you know, I haven't fallen apart with all the crap and stuff, you know, uh, I, you know, my stuff still works. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't don't do crazy stuff. I don't do 300 pound squats. So what? Mm-hmm. So what? You know, I pace myself and I, you know, I got my routines and it's, it's kind of, actually, it's kind of cool. So if it's not an adventure for you, I'm still on another adventure, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm the project now. So I guess, what is all that? I think I've gotten to a point where it's, well, if I sign on, I'm in. And it's not work then. It doesn't feel like work. If I could do this with you, we're, we're playing. We're having fun. <laughs> yeah. This is, is this work? We're doing the work, but is it work? No. Look what we get to do. Right? And all you watching, look at this. What a nice life. If you can enjoy to learn something, to bring some joy into what you do, is the gym a lot of joy? Not all days. Some days it's a struggle to get in there. You know what? Yeah. But I go, holy cow, God, you know, you know how many people can't even get in the door, you know, of, of a gym? And I'm so lucky I can even be there. Shut up and go do your work, mister. You know, and other times it's I'm just fine. Other times I need to kick my own butt. Other time, you know, I'm not exempt of anything anybody else is, and it's just your, your consistent effort. But overall, I know if I don't, I'll start getting gloomy, and I'll and I won't like who I am as much. I don't feel like I'm on a good path. It's like, oh God, you know, I don't want to go like that. Uh, get it back, get it back, get it back. You know, get over here, you know, and get back into your routine. And then, <sighs> okay, actually, I feel pretty good today. Good job. Good job. You know, mm-hmm. you did yourself a nice favor. So now it's just my, is it a lot of work? I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's cool. I'm the, I'm the new project for once. I'm the project. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Or once for, I was in the beginning, right? It was all this self, all this, all this self work. And then it was get filled enough, up enough, get, get, get squared enough with yourself that now you can give to others. Mm-hmm. All my time serving as 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 your organizational leader was 
was marvelous in that I, all I had to do was give. I really didn't have to do a lot of work. I could actually, I was good. I mean, really good. But to the point of being so much in mission and a mission martyr that I was ignoring. So I got my shadow pieces too, you know, that I was ignoring a whole part of me that was being sacrificed uh, because I loved to do that. I didn't really care. Yeah. It didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter that I was getting bigger. I don't care. It was good. Get get there and help men and take calls of all, at all times because it felt great. The love and connection and the reward was so such a, a, a an opiate that that uh, I could be a mission martyr. That's how I, I don't know if anybody else coined that phrase, but I sure have. The being a mission martyr, where you sacrifice so much of yourself because you're in love with what you're doing, yeah. and it took a toll. And probably like a lot of you, I'm not a guy of great, what they call balance. <laughs> I'm kind of all in or I'm out. Mm -hmm. And so do I have all this figured out? No. You know, but do I have regrets? Uh, I probably would do the same thing again. Because guess what? I got to do a lot of cool stuff. And a lot of rare things and being a lot of spaces with, with men and, and other things that it was quite a life I've been able to have, you know, most because of what I've been able to experience right up to today. Look what we've mm. still got to do. Yeah. This is great. I hope that, I wish that for all of you out there, that whatever carries your inspiration, but it's going to have a cost. It is. I don't know anybody that's really got this all right. Everything's going to be a price to pay for whatever. There is. There's going to be a wake if you're going to go across the pond. It's a trade-off, guys. But overall, if you say, you know what? I had my head right. I did a lot of good. I survived. <laughs> you know, I helped a lot of people. I did what I could. I'm, I'm good with that. And now to speak to, oh, you wanted me to talk about elders. Other stuff. So how do, how do you get to be elders? I guess I admired it from the early days of Robert Moore's work. It was like the the real role of an elder is not just grandpa energy. I see it as uh, the man that knows how to uh, keep the great magicians in check. <laughs> really, that's what mm. that's really what it is to watch the magicians of the world to go. Hey, come here. We gotta talk. That that thing you're doing over there, that stop that now. We good? All right. Go ahead, magician. <laughs> Go do your stuff. Go ahead. And and yes, I'm watching and not negating your power. You're doing great stuff. You're doing great work. And but I see you. And that must stop. We good? Yeah. All right. That's the role of the elder. Bless him. Okay, good job. Good job. You know, you're not in the way, you're not in the mix. You're there to watch the containers, to see, to be oversight. You're not there to rule. You're not there to be just grandpa lever energy, although you're a good person that people can come to, right? For for comfort and for maybe counsel. 
but mostly to listen. Let me listen. You want me to say something? I will. If not, I'll just listen. Let me listen. I'll listen. Well, let's go for a walk. I'll listen. What a great place to be in. That's how I can serve. And actually, to be seen that way is actually what a compliment. You look like a trusted older person that I can confide in. And if I ask, you'll give me counsel. If not, I know I can come to you. How cool is that? I like that. What just flashed by? I saw something flash by. I don't know. Like it's like a bug or something in here just zipped no, right by in I front of me. I was going to say, the, the spirit of elders just flew yeah. through the room, blessing us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I can do now to hold that space. Uh, and actually, I love being in the role because that's it's appropriate for my time. And it fits with me. That's uh, so all I can say. I'm at the point of my maturity where that's a good, healthy place for me to be. That doesn't mean I have a boy that isn't spontaneous and fun and vibrant and, and can laugh and joke and be part of other things. But I'm going to default into the guy that says, okay, that's enough foolishness. Mm-hmm. You know? I could do that in the gym. Guys are screwing around even. It's just because of my age and because of what I represent. He said, guys, 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 keep it down, please. All right. <laughs> I, you, you, yeah, you're killing it. You're great. And enough, enough. <laughs> you know? And you would probably look better than they do too, which is the thing. <laughs> you know, and they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all they mm-hmm. needed a little bit, a little yeah. bit, a little bit of a guy just to say, hey, hey, keep a lid on it, guys. Just enough. I can hear you all the way on the other side, you know? Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's a great place to be in. Mm-hmm. You just don't overstep and you're not using it as a power, you're using it as, as a way to bless. It's generativity. You know, Will, I bless you. What you're doing here is a wonderful thing. Mm. You're trying to provide a wonderful platform for for anyone who wants to see this at all, right? To try to benefit their lives and to bring something forward for themselves and you. And so, I, blessings to you, my dear man. This is hours and hours and hours of a of commitment and and struggle and maybe all the things that no one can see. Uh, that goes into the care and the love of wanting to provide something of real use uh, for people. Now you've been doing it for three years. So let's bring this full circle. Mm. You've been it for three years and that's going to take a toll as well. So maybe as we wrap up our evenings, realize that's a blessing for you, my dear man. And that's hopefully what you can hear from an older man that says it with real sincerity. And, and, I hold you in my heart, and I am going to hold your magician's feet to the fire, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the greatest things I can do to bless you on the journey that you're doing because you're coming up right behind me, mm-hmm. right? Right. So do I accept my role? I do. And do I like it? Yes, I do. And so I still, I believe I still have value. Why there isn't more eldership in the world, I think partly is because there's very few that mature from a, a true uh, initiatory to maturity process that really feel they have much to give, even though they may. And maybe part of it's a cop-out. And 
It's up to young men truly to go ask the mentors. The mentors aren't out there tapping in the shoulder. Hey, you know what? I, I want to be your mentor. Right. No. No. You got to go seek mentorship. So any of you young men that like to be in a relationship with an old man, you better not get used to knocking on the door. Say, you know what? I'd love to have some uh, some wisdom talk with someone that looks like they have a little bit of life, more life experience than I do. Um, sometime we can, I'll bring some sandwiches. We can sit and talk on the porch here on occasion. Might be surprised. The older men go, well, I don't know what I got to tell you, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Just to have that relationship sometimes in itself is healing. It doesn't have to be anything spectacular. Just having that relationship. Isn't that nice to know some older men that actually care about what you're becoming, right? And to look after you and a sense of wanting to see you do good, you know, and that kind of that kind of blessing. Well, if I could do that now that I'm I'm good. I'd never thought of it in terms of the young men seeking out the older men and actually inviting them to have something to to give. I don't know that the older men have would have experienced that before. It seems inappropriate, just like if you do any father healing. I know we're coming to the end of our talk here. Yeah. Uh, but if you ever want to have any forgiveness work done with your father, whether he's alive or not, you need to go to him. Oh, and yeah. I know the whole thing is, no, 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 no. It's He's the one, he's the perpetrator, I'm the victim, he should be coming to me. No. Mm -hmm. You have to go and ask for a new relationship, say, with a leverage with the father, so that it's initiated by you. The same thing here. You have to do it with a mentor. Um, a lot of great men wish they had more young men around them. They said, but nobody comes to ask. Mm -hmm. I realize great professors and everything, people that admire them and everything. Nobody comes to ask. I'd be glad to hold court for a number of young men, but they think they're not wanted. You think they're going to come looking for you? Hey, what young men could use a mentor? I'm available. Hang up a sign. Yeah. Mentor, you know, mentor for rent, you know. <laughs> right. I'll walk around, you know. No, no. We met by chance, you know, and we grow as a friendship. And I offer, an, a, you know, a mature masculine ear to anything that you want to discuss. Sometimes it's business, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's personal, sometimes it's just enjoying each other's company. Great. Mm -hmm. You know, or the average things of an average day. If that helps you, then wonderful. I get, and what does the elder get out of it? Huh? I get to see what it, maybe some things that I can't or just don't want to take on anymore. Do I want to take out a podcast and put in you know, 80 hours a week on the content and the editing? No. No, I don't. No, I don't. I, I, have, I have enough to do. Thank you very much. You know, my days of building, you know, are pretty much over. You know, my warrior doesn't need to build anymore. I can maintain and support others through generativity and blessing. Uh, that's a good place. And I'm good with that. Well, I got nothing left to prove. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't. So that's kind of a good place too. So, hey, what fits for that elder? Mm -hmm. So here I am. Most men have never seen a man at that stage of life who has nothing left to prove. Most men have buried the things that they, so they can forget about the things that they didn't do. 
they haven't done all the things that they want to do. But to, to be in a place where like, I'm satisfied with my contribution. I have nothing left to prove. And I can just yeah. embody that. That's, that's rare. I, have a lot to, I still have a lot to give, but I've got nothing to prove. That's a yeah, big difference. Yeah. Yeah. My ego's been satisfied. I've done my contribution. I, I, you know, I, it's not that this is not a, I don't need to take the risk because I guess I don't have to prove myself my nothing. <laughs> I don't, except maybe in the gym right. of, of the, the discipline that it takes. What I got to prove now is do I care? Do I love myself? Do I have enough self care to stay within my discipline for the sake of my well being? Mm -hmm. So it's another new kind of commitment. That's what it is. And so I'm being tested all the time. Okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. And if I don't want to do that someday, I'll stop. Hopefully you, <laughs> Hopefully you don't. Probably, or I don't. Or they put me in the, they put me in the dirt, you know? With a barbell. With a barbell. Nah, but, you know. Hey, you're not a barbell guy, yeah. Nah, I mean, I, I do them because if there was something else I could do, I could do it. But that's, that's the thing to do, mm -hmm. you know? So, okay, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah it's okay so i hope that helps let's wrap this up huh yeah yeah well i mean i i am very um grateful for you and i've again i'm very grateful for this conversation and, and your friendship has been such a blessing to me over these past couple of years that we've known each other in more ways than i can count and um thank you for honoring me because it's been quite a journey over these three years i didn't expect to end up where i have and um Thank you for, for being part of that. And thank you for sharing with the men and women listening so many things that, uh, that I've always wanted to talk about, but didn't have the words for, and that informed the way that I see things uh, and, and what I have to share. And, um, and thank you for providing a model to me and so many men of um, the blessings of a life well-lived and, and, and what's up ahead. So thank you, Glenn. Pleasure to be with you, Will. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. <laughs>